Hello, this is Do Go On. I'm Matt Stewart. And I'm Taran Jayamana. And uh, we're in Sydney. And uh, we're about to be in Brisbane. And we're doing live shows. They're called Dry Dryer. And also, who knew with Matt Stewart in both those cities? And you can get details at mattstewartcomedy.com. Anything else you want to tell the good listeners that do go on, Saran? Well, the whole point of this was you thought that it might be more engaging if you had a different voice. But you've said most of the information. So, hey, come see us in Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah, that was engaging. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching. <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalised results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> And edit it. <laughs> hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. <laughs> <laughs> and you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Stuart, Matt, hello. Hey, Jess. Thanks so much for having me here at Sands Pants Studios. <laughs> That's right. It's a pleasure to be here. And um, I'm doing the intro poorly because Dave isn't here. Who's here instead, Matt? Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Uh, he hasn't been on this show, but he has been on our Do Go d and <laughs> I can't remember what it's called, but it was a D&D spin-off podcast. Yep. I think it was called Do Go on D&D. He's the dungeon master himself. Please make him welcome. It's Adam Carnivale. Woo! You say please make him welcome and it's just me. So it's like, <laughs> yes! Well, I'm picturing Woo! people at home doing it as Boarding, well. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I was just sitting here in the studio when you two sat down, so it was inevitable, but thank you nonetheless. Yeah, I'm sorry that we hit record before you had the chance to leave um, and get on with your day, but now you get to sit here and chat to us for a couple of hours, and hey... Just what scooched more? a chair just in front of the door. Yeah. There is no way out now. <laughs> I did hear, yeah, as the door closed, I did hear it lock as well. So yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. there was ever an option. Yeah. Did you know these doors locked? <laughs> I didn't, no. <laughs> <laughs> Discovered just now. So uh, people might... Oh, know you from the D and D episodes. I might also know you from primates, and of course, getting fruity with Matt oh. and the boys. 
Main host of Getting Fruity with Maddie and the Boys. Yeah, Maddie and the Boys. <laughs> Maddie yeah. and the Boys. That's what the real fans call it. Yeah, yeah. And of course, also the Ape Titty Slide Saga. You're one of the key investigators. Yes. We we broke that case. We busted it wide it got, open. It is so open. Yeah. I, I still want to do one last episode on it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but we've really got to find something that will bust the case open even <laughs> further if possible. We... It's guaranteed that we will not do the episode until there is concrete, hard-hitting evidence for further Ape Titty Slide Adventure. Totally. And the other thing, well, I mean, one of the many other things you do is host a D&D podcast here at Sans Pants. That is correct, yes. And if so, if people like D&D, I mean, obviously check out our D&D uh, series on patreon.com slash pod, but also come across for the Sans... I mean, if you go to sanspants.com... And you close your eyes and you click on any of the podcasts, you'll probably find Adam Carnavale. It's a decent chance, yeah. Basically, you'd throw a throw a dart at the website. <laughs> you're guaranteed to break your computer screen and hit a podcast I'm on. Yeah. Yeah. Double fun. Mm. Double trouble. Yeah. Hey, Jess, how does this podcast work for new listeners? I reckon Carnavale, if ca- the Carnavale Massive is here, you know, and they're listening to the podcast oh, for the yeah, first yeah. time. Well, first of all, um, welcome. Mm. And thank you so much for giving us a go. Um, how this works is one of the three of us goes away, researches a topic, usually suggested by a listener. We bring back that research, that information, and we we present it to the other two who listen quietly and politely and never interrupt or go on silly little riffs. Oh, thank God that was said jokingly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Imagine. At, at first I wasn't sure. Imagine it's like, Adam, actually, I'm just going to need you to pipe down. Okay, Matt's Matt's telling us something incredibly <laughs> interesting. He keeps banging on this guy, Carnavale. You're not here to talk. <laughs> You're okay. here to listen. You're here for Matt to talk to you. Okay. It just makes me feel more comfortable about telling a story if there's other people in the room. Matt can't talk into a microphone in an empty room. He can't yeah. do it. We've tried. Um, and so we just have to sit here. Feel free to go on your phone. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you and I could play a card game. Um, we could do almost anything, but as long as we're in the room and not making too much noise, Matt can do the report. And Matt, we always get onto the topic with a question. That's right. And this week's question is, uh, and there is a listener, or there was at some point, who was keeping track of the score. So yes. you could be on mm. this famous scoreboard if you I'm excited. get this right. Uh and Jess, you could you could probably could, continue I could remain your, on the scoreboard. You could probably continue to be on the scoreboard. Yes. Uh, my question is, mm-hmm. j- jump in whenever you're ready. Uh huh. Which famous board game features Atlantic City streets such as Mediterranean Avenue, St Charles Place, and Marvin Gardens? A board game. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do or you... the English version, Old Kent Road, Pall Mall, and Piccadilly. <gasps> <laughs> your whole body it was like it was like your toes knew the answer first and it went all the way up your body and it sh- your arm shot out you were so excited then my toes are typically the first thing to think yeah, of something yeah, yeah. Monopoly! yeah. that cool. was very good uh yeah it's um yeah, that's you know, I wasn't sure how well known here the American names were because I hadn't heard of them either. So, is this was that the original version of? Yes. The, oh, really? So this is going to be the story of the original version, and the English version came out soon after mm. the American one. But yeah, the American one. So this is the story of how it came to be. Quite controversial, this story. Very quickly at the top, favorite piece, Battleship. 
Uh, I would go the little car. I always went the little horse, the horse, horse? and rider. Yes. Yeah. What? I don't know this piece. Well, that's yeah. interesting. At the very end, I've got a, if we have time ah. and if we're not bored ah. of Monopoly, I've got like a I brief imagine that. history of the pieces. And it's so funny that they, they delete them and add new ones right. and then yeah. bring some back and then. Oh. I would go car or little dog. Car, also good option. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I like uh, car. I, no, I could never get bored of Monopoly. Whenever I... Any moment, any time, any day I think I have a spare eight hours, mm. I love to play half a game of Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> and then how does it end? Flipping a table? Uh, it always ends in flipping a table. Typically ends when everyone else has walked away mm. and I'm the only one standing <laughs> because no one else wants to play. Everyone else is like, i got to go to bed, man. It's 3 a.m. <laughs> uh, so this uh, topic has only been suggested by a couple of people. It's interesting because Jess Adam has done a... Uh, report in the past about the McDonald's uh, monopoly. That's right. <laughs> heist, which was this big dodgy. Oh thing. <gasps> no! I've heard of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a pretty wild story. A lot I'd of go it give is it a crazy. listen. <laughs> if I were you, like, I, I might. That sounds. <laughs> I want to know. Heaps of people suggest that, but only two people have suggested Monopoly the game. Hmm. That's mm. uh, Jonathan McGee from Gathersburg in Maryland, I reckon. And Joff from LOL Radio and Colac. Joff. Hmm. Uh, Joff suggested it as part of a mini triptych with uh, Trivial Pursuit and another <laughs> board game. But I've, I've just found enough to do it all on Monopoly. Great. Yeah, I was surprised. I didn't know anything about the origin story. Um, so if you're, if you're ready, physically and emotionally prepared, um, your toes feeling good? Adam? To- toes warming up? Yep. <laughs> and that's... I'm the best state for listening for my toes. Okay, great. That's yeah. a good sign. Uh, so this is the origin story of Monopoly. According to Britannica, Monopoly, which is the best-selling privately patented board game in history, is a real estate board game for two to eight players, in which the player's goal is to remain financially solvent while forcing opponents into bankruptcy by buying and developing pieces of property. What fun. <laughs> It, it truly, it truly is the game of life. <laughs> when you, when you hear it broken down to that, trying to make your friends bankrupt, you're like, yeah. all right, we're in for a good time yeah. here. Yeah. yeah, this is going to be fun for everyone. Oh, whenever you hear the word solvent in a description oh. of a oh, of a yeah. game, I'm like, oh, we 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 hit a party. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the game gained widespread popularity in the United States after Parker Brothers started manufacturing it in 1935. Uh, the game's inventor was an unemployed salesman named Charles B. Darrow, who was uh, struggling to put food on the table during the Great Depression. The story goes that he went down into his basement when he was suddenly struck by inspiration. On a piece of cloth, he drew a board game which featured Atlantic City streets and buildings. He created the game almost fully formed out of thin air. His family loved it, and he decided to start selling it. At least, that was the commonly held ah, belief. Yes, good, yes. yes. For a long time. <laughs> I, I know a little bit about Monopoly. <laughs> yes, oh my God, yes. <laughs> I was about to be like, <laughs> <laughs> But the truth is, that's only a tiny part of the story. Okay. According to Mary Pylon, who uh, <laughs> seems to be the the key source, the, the, the big brain... The on expert. the history mm. of Monopoly. The expert. <laughs> Good. The, the key, <laughs> the, the person brain. you would ask about it because they have a knowledge about the topic more Ooh. than others. <laughs> That's not a good sign early. <laughs> so, yeah, so she 
She's written a book, which I've um, I've read and listened to, which I've yeah. been doing on recent reports. I've been buying the ebook and the audio book, mm. so I can listen at night and then read in the day. Mm. So I've been doing that with her book, which came out in 2015. It's a great book. But she got- sorry, just a quick little side note, and and a, I suppose a, a, a just an opportunity to thank you, Matt, because you have been doing this for a while, and you keep talking about I listen to the book and then I. And so I, because I haven't read a book for such a long time because I don't have time to sit down and read and I, I can't sit still. So I just finished my first audio book because I could listen to it in the car, doing yeah. dishes, doing, like I'd go to bed and I'd listen mm. to my book for a bit. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to bed to read, but I'm just lying there It's so listening. good. Reading with your eyes closed oh, is the best. Big fan. Can so, I ask what was the audio book? Uh, it was the latest book from Sally Rooney. Uh Beautiful world, where are you? Something like that, mm. um, and it was pretty good. And the um, the person reading it was Irish, so that was just nice to listen to. Yeah, if you get the yeah. right, like the married pylon doesn't read this book on the audio book. Yeah, it's a guy who sort of sounds like Neil Hamburger, <laughs> the uh, okay. sort of the <laughs> the um, com- comedy character, sort of like the anti comedy character, but only without the comedy. Like, there's no comedy part to the voice, but it's. Wow, he sort of talks like this. Yeah. So it took me a while to get used to. <laughs> you do get used to, to it, but yeah, initially sometimes you're like, uh, and I didn't really love how the um, the this narrator did male characters. It just sounded. I was like, you know, I don't think you have to do voices for all of them, but I, she'd sort of go, all the men sounded the same, and they were a bit lower, and and yep. I was like, this is very distracting, actually, because that's it, because yeah, there's some where they'll do accents and stuff, yeah. and I'm like, oh, you're not nailing that, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and so well, some are pretty good, like all the Bill Bryson books that someone else reads them, and their Australian accents like. Pretty good, okay. Oh yeah, but it's also it's still a bit it's distracting. Still not an Australian, mm. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know that because you're hearing their voice for the rest of the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it's, it would be hard, like especially with that a books where there's heaps of different accents. Anyway, yeah. we're getting sidetracked very. No, I just early. wanted to say thanks for getting me onto audiobooks. And if anybody else wants to give them a try, they're new, but I think they're going to catch on. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, Dave would now probably, if he was here, plug uh, book cheat as a, yeah, an right. audible code. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> if you want to, if you do want to get if involved, you're, be using that. if you're listening to this, surely an audiobook is right up your alley as 100%, well. It's yeah. literally the same thing, a bit longer. Yeah, I I Probably. would assume unless this is going to go for about eight hours, <laughs> and there's genuinely no people interrupting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's one voice, apart yes. from them doing an accent. Y- yeah, and now oh, there's someone else in the room. And I was now. like, oh, you've taken me out of it actually a little bit. Now that all the men <laughs> sound the same, and it's just you doing a slightly deeper voice. So anyway. I'm so I'm going to be uh, referencing uh, Mary Pylon's work, her book. She also wrote a piece for the New York Times and one for The Guardian and a few others. So I'm, mm. I'll just refer to it as Mary Pylon. But, yeah, she's written a lot about this story. According to Pylon, uh, it turns out the Monopoly's origin begin not with Darrow in the 1930s, but decades before with a bold progressive woman named Lizzie McGee, who until recently has largely been lost to history and in some cases deliberately written out of it. Do you mm-hmm. know how much I love the surname McGee? It goes with any name. Um, it's got a whimsy to it. Love it. Lizzie McGee. Are you kidding me? It's so me? good. It Great is so good. Great to put good. in a rhyme. Oh, yeah. Incredible absolutely. in a rhyme. Yeah. 
couldn't think of one right now. But <laughs> think of like, but any like it goes Adam McGee. Yeah, that's good stuff. Jess McGee. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding Jess me? McGee. Matt McGee. Matt, Matt McGee is good. Are you? I wasn't that's some good alliteration. Often that's that good. doesn't work. The double M, but mm. you know, Matt there McGee. I think it does. Matt McGee. Yeah, you're right. Anything goes with McGee. Yeah, it's interesting. I I think. I don't know if it's in America or whatever. It's spelled slightly differently, but I would I had to look up how to pronounce it, and I guess luckily uh, the audio book helped there. But um, it's spelled M A G I E, which I would have oh. pronounced ma- uh, Maggi. Yeah, same. I think I would have. Yeah, I would have thought it was that. Uh, but anyway, McGee, even it's way better. So yeah, so good. Um, so Elizabeth. McGee was born in Illinois in 1866 to parents Mary and James McGee. That makes Jimmy sense. Jimmy McGee. That's, yeah, Jimmy McGee was her dad. Are you kidding Mary me? McGee and Jimmy McGee. Whoa. It's so McGee. funny. I'm like already was about to go back to pronouncing it Maggie. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's fascinating that she was born exactly 100 years before the Saints won their one and only premiership in the <laughs> VFL, but her father, James. It is crazy. Isn't yeah, that, that's wild. That wild that's insane, yeah. <laughs> that's, that, I wouldn't have thought that. Can you believe? Yeah. <laughs> she would have had no idea that day when she was born. Yeah. No idea. Wouldn't have a clue. Yeah. Uh, her father, Jimmy McGee, was a newspaper man. Not made out of newspaper. newspaper. He worked in uh, newspaper. Yes, yet. yes. I, uh, I thought, yeah, good. And he travelled with Abraham Lincoln in the late 1850s when Lincoln was on a political debating tour with opponent Stephen Douglas. Apparently they got on quite well. Jimmy McGee, quite politically minded, and she uh, he kind of passed that on to his daughter, Lizzie. Her dad was an anti-monopolist, and she took after him later. The game sa- or the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was anti-monopolist? Yeah he, yeah, he really didn't support her and her endeavours. <sighs> that sucks. No, no, he hated, like, corporate monopolies. monopolies. yeah. Yep. Uh, and she she took after him later saying, I've often been called a chip off the old block, which I consider quite a compliment, for I'm proud of my father for being the kind of old block that he is. <laughs> a bit of fun. That's nice. Uh, back to Pylon. Uh, the seeds of the Monopoly game were planted when Jimmy McGee shared with his daughter a copy of Henry George's best-selling book, Progress and Poverty, written in 1879. As an anti-monopolist, Jimmy McGee... It says James McGee, but I can't not say Jimmy McGee. You've got to say it. Yeah, yeah don't, be, don't be an idiot and Jim- say James Maggi. It's Jimmy McGee. <laughs> Jimmy McGee. Uh, Jimmy McGee drew from the theories of George, a charismatic politician and economist who believed that individuals should own 100% of what they made or created, but that everything that was found in nature, particularly land, should belong to everyone. George was a proponent of the land value tax, also known as the single tax. The general idea was to tax land and only land, shifting the tax burden to wealthy landlords. His message resonated with many Americans in the late 1800s when poverty and squalor were on full display in the country's urban centres. Someone smarter than me would have to explain why that's not a good idea. But just, I'm like, that sounds like a good idea. Mm. Yeah. You keep all your pay and people who own stuff, and I guess that means, you know, like people are digging out minerals and whatever. Yeah. They have to pay more tax. It's it that makes, feels like this you know, okay, that yeah. makes some sense to me, but I'm sure someone would be able I'm to sure explain someone why it's with not a vested a interest <laughs> has a very strong opinion against it, sure. Yeah. Uh back to Pilar. Matt uh, McGee lived a highly unusual life. Unlike most women of her era, she supported herself and didn't marry until the advanced age of forty four. In addition to working as a stenographer and a secretary, 
She wrote poetry and short stories and did comedic routines on stage. What? She also spent her time drawing and redrawing, thinking and rethinking the game that she wanted to be based on the theories of George, who died in 1897, uh, the year that the VFL began. (laughs) Can you believe these coincidences? Wouldn't have known. Wouldn't have known. That's so sad. Would would never saw it and would have wanted to, I think. It's f- kind of funny to think back to a time when 44 was seen as an advanced age to get married. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Nana. <laughs> I mean, what's the point at that age? <laughs> but apparently it was really, really rare. Yeah, it was can, seen can... as being quite, quite yeah. odd. She was sort of seen as being a bit eccentric because she, she, <laughs> she supported herself. And <laughs> she wrote and she did stand up. Got yeah. a few out there ideas. Yeah. Not getting married at 10. What a kook. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> Around the turn of the century, board games were becoming more popular in the middle classes. According to Pylon, changing workspaces gave rise to more leisure time. Electric lighting was becoming common in American homes, reinventing the daily schedule. Games could now be played more safely and enjoyably for longer hours than had been safely. possible during the gaslight era. Safely? Yeah, apparently, I guess the gaslights. <laughs> I guess is it because of the gas and fire? Oh, like, okay. I guess they're saying the lighting the the itself lighting, was yeah. dangerous, not the games. Yes, that's right. No one's playing hoop and stick and <laughs> getting decapitated <laughs> by an eagle or something. It was very common back then. Yeah, yeah, Electric yeah. lighting scared off a lot of those decapitating <laughs> eagles. <laughs> Which is sad, actually. Yeah, yeah. It is sad. Yeah, yeah they're extinct sad. now. Yeah. yeah. Well done. Yeah, humans. well done. Well done, guy who invented lights. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> we, I did a whole episode about lights and I can't. Don't, don't worry know, about it. Don't, no, don't worry about it. It's not important. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. That's not this episode. They can we watch that even, episode. Matt, Newton was involved. Matt, he's responsible for the extinction of decapitated Yeah, he eagles. shouldn't be remembered. Yeah. We, do, we dare not speak his name. Right. Mm. People are yelling at their iPods. No one cares. <laughs> Her game, called The Landlord's Game, wasn't identical to what we now know as Monopoly, but it was pretty close. According to Pylon, the game had a square board with nine rectangular spaces on each side, set between corners labelled Go to Jail and Public Park. Okay. Players circled the board, buying up railroads, collecting money and paying rent. She made up two sets of rules, monopolist and anti-monopolist, but her stated goal was to demonstrate the evils of accruing vast sums of wealth at the expense of others. So you can, I mean, it, if I just describe that to you, yeah. there's nine... Spaces down each side, there's a jail, there's a go-to-jail. You go around buying and uh, renting. Yeah. Yeah. you got money. It's Monopoly. It's, it's Monopoly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, so it's not, it's not exactly the same. The go-to-jail part is like, I don't know any other games that have that. <laughs> so few, very few other games yeah, are like, have you, go to jail. Yeah. <laughs> jail for you, jail. It's so funny as well that the original game is kind of it, it. As you're describing, it's very similar, if not identical, to the original game. Except it's it's the original. It's sorry, it's the original game is just the modern game, but they're like, oh, and this is bad. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not good. It's, yeah, it's the, yeah, it's kind of the opposite. Yeah, in that. it's like the inverted. It's the same game, but with the opposite message. I yes. guess. Yeah. Yeah. So she created two sets of rules for a game. So the anti-monopolist set rewarded everyone when wealth was created and a monopolist set in which the goal was to create monopolies and crush opponents. Her dualistic approach was a teaching tool meant to demonstrate that the first set of rules was morally superior. Mm. She might have overestimated uh, (laughs) humanity there. (laughs) Describing her game, 
McGee said, It's a practical demonstration of the present system of land grabbing with all its usual outcomes and consequences. In a short time, I hope a very short time, men and women will discover that they are poor because Carnegie and Rockefeller, maybe, have more than they know what to do with. Her hope was that it was going to help yeah. show that, you know, maybe maybe the super rich mm. shouldn't have quite as much as they do. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Insane. I no. really, I don't think she'd love to see today's world. Uh, uh, I think she'd be a big Bezos fan, actually. <laughs> I'll have you know. So no, he worked hard for that. <laughs> worked very hard. Yeah, he should have it and all of it. Every time you order something from Amazon, Jeff Bezos himself, yeah, uh, refuses to pierce, packs it, and sends it to you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I mean, I I just plugged one of his businesses with Audible as well. I know. I'm part of the problem. I'm sorry, McGee. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, We're Lizzie McGee. Yeah. As well as inventing games, Lizzie McGee also had a crack at engineering. In the 1890s, she invented a contraption that let paper pass through the typewriter more easily. Because huh. she was a cool. stenographer. So. Yeah. I always, I've always liked, I've always liked the notion of the job of a stenographer because, first off, it's a job that. I, well, maybe maybe a computer can't do it better than a person, but I think it's still so funny and admirable that we do get a person to write yeah. down everything that's happening in a courtroom. But then also, I love I love the concept of chaos happens in the courtroom, and the stenographer still needs to keep track yeah, of all of yeah, it. Yeah. Oh, it's full on, right? Yeah. And have you seen their funny incredible. little computers that they use? Yes. yes, it's got like three keys. It's incredible. <laughs> Space bar, tab. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. <laughs> Caps lock. I wouldn't say those are the important ones no. either, which is crazy. Probably spacebar. Spacebar, yeah, yeah. I once saw a, a key keyboard that someone had made that was, it only had 10 keys, one for each finger, and you the, it had the full alphabet, but it was like you could pull or push. All or 10 push letters? In. Yeah, all 10 <laughs> letters. Uh, no, you could pull or push or push in. So wow. you could, it had like so the So once full, you learn it, it would be way yeah. more efficient. And then what the what the person could do is, if they did it all at the same time, the computer would figure out what letters they had pressed, and then it would be like, well, this is the word, clearly, that you wanted. Right. And it was it was wild watching. They, it was like out of the Matrix or That's something. Sick. It was incredible to wow. watch. Imagine a sort of a steep learning curve once you've yeah. got it. It would just be like unstoppable. Yeah, yeah, Look yeah, at yeah. them go. I know. They're tapping the shit out of that. I'm excited by stuff like that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm. If I could take that machine and, and give it to me as a child, I might have some chance of learning how to use it. <laughs> Absolutely Buckley's chance now. Yeah, at yeah. the advanced <laughs> age <laughs> of 44. <laughs> McGee was also a feminist, mocking marriage and how it was seen as the only option for women. She put out a newspaper ad selling herself as a wife to the highest bidder <laughs> as a sort of protest against it. <laughs> The ad made news around the country, and when asked by reporters what she was aiming to do, she told them that it was to shine a light on the subjugation of women, saying, we are not machines. Girls have minds, desires, hopes, and ambitions. So, yeah, she did a lot of different things. Uh, Incredible. Well, when you're not married, you've got so much more time on your hands to do things. (laughs) You know what I mean? Marriage takes up a lot of your time. A lot of your time fetching pipes and slippers. pipes. You gotta make the bed, I guess. Yeah. Making a martini. You gotta that make sort of a martini. Yeah. Does he want a dirty, extra dirty today? I don't know. Oh, extra dirty martini. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> filthy. Does he oh, want it God. filthy? 
Setting your alarm half an hour earlier so yes. you can do makeup before your husband wakes up. So he Ugh. never sees you as you actually are, you disgusting Ugh. monster. <laughs> so, yeah, she did all these other things. But the mm. game, that was her big passion. Back to Pylon. After years of tinkering, riding, and pondering her new creation, Lizzie entered the U.S. Patent Office on the 23rd of March, 1903, to secure her legal claim to the landlord's game. Coincidentally, this was the same day the Wright brothers filed their first patent for their flying machine. Coincidence? At, I think not. Yeah, I'm like, it's, is that a coincidence? It's just, I mean, that's maybe interestingly. <laughs> we did an episode about the Wright brothers back in the day. Mm. You recall it, Jess? Nah. Uh, at least two years later, she published a version of the game through Economic Game Company, a New York-based firm, which I believe was formed by Lizzie and other followers of Henry George. Economic Game Company. Yeah, it's pretty snappy. A lot of pizzazz to mm. that name. EGC? It's not terrible. Yeah. But it's not fun. No. But I it's don't... not supposed to be. It's an economic game. Yeah. Yeah, no one's meant to have fun no, playing no, no, this no. game. That's how that was what her ad said. Yeah. This isn't for fun. If, if you, you start start like fun, fun you're playing you. it wrong. You're playing how it wrong if you're having fun. Yeah. Have some respect. <laughs> if you're having fun, you're probably not playing the anti monopoly version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Try that one and learn (laughs) about morals. (laughs) At the time she put her application in, fewer than 1% of patents in the US came from women. At that point, women didn't even have the right to vote, so she was really a pioneer. McGee moved to Chicago looking for more opportunities. There she continued inventing games. One of them, called Mock Trial, was published by Parker Brothers in 1910. And only had very mild success, but, you know, got published by one of the, the big... Game makers. Yeah. That same year she was married at the advanced what? age of 44. Uh, so now she's got no time to do anything. And this might have come as a bit of a shock to some as she was so anti-marriage. Yeah. She said uh, when she did that stunt about selling herself to the highest bidder, she said, who's got time for marriage anyway? Uh, maybe if you could have three days on, four days off. <laughs> I could, maybe I could do it then. Again, she actually said that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is so funny. That is great. <laughs> that rules. Also, I just don't understand what marriage was back then. <laughs> why was why was it so time consuming? Oh, I think they were... Oh, I, th- I just need a day off from marriage. Well, I think wives... I mean, I don't know, but my impression is wives back then were basically servants. Oh, yeah. You didn't work if you were married. You couldn't work. You weren't allowed to. Because you didn't have any time because you were doing the... You were basically the house. It just wasn't appropriate. Like, why would you... Why would you be at work mm. But th- when there's a house to be looked after? It would also be quite emasculating to the husband. Oh, yeah. You know imagine. I mean? Imagine if your wife worked. Oh, that'd be so embarrassing. Everyone would know you had a little wiener. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what people would think and say. That's what yeah. people think and say if your wife worked. Oh. Nothing else, though. There'd be nothing. No other repercussions. But that's pretty bad. Oh yeah, God, that's so bad enough. Sorry, toots. You're not going back to work. I got a big dick. <laughs> and I want everyone to know. <laughs> Don't tell them the truth. Don't tell them, please. Please. What was that? He's giving her a little kiss. Oh, I see. Yeah, he was sucking. I thought, I thought one of them was calling the other one over like they were a cat. <laughs> <laughs> Come here. Come on. Uh, I really only bring up the marriage because of this one fact about her husband. Because it's a huge husband. part of a woman's life. Oh, and yes, and that. <laughs> and it's the most important well, part. Well, it's, it's, uh, it takes up a lot of time. It takes so much yeah. time. Yes. Uh, thank you so much for saying it. Yeah, yeah. it does. Bread to bake and... <laughs> and well, I mean, as soon, since Dave's been married, he's been missing so many episodes of this show. That's true. He's probably off right now. 
doing marriage, marriage stuff. Yeah. Just yeah. doing it. That's true. Well, not he's, doing it. Obviously. He's definitely not doing well, it. Well, you know, he could be. We don't know. We, I mean, we, we don't know, know for sure, but, but we, we know. <laughs> we know. <laughs> Adam, it's very kind, but we know. All right, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. <laughs> uh, so her husband was a businessman named Albert Phillips. And he was involved in a scandal in 1889. He was taken to court over his saucy publication named Climax, which featured <laughs> photos of curvaceous women with sultry faces and exposed arms and knees. Oh, my gosh. Arms and knees. Arms and knees. Are you kidding me? So he's a pervert. Yes. <laughs> what, what She's married me. a perv. She married a perv. <laughs> she, should, she could have done so much better. Yeah. Did he? Um, okay. Yeah. Now I'm going to just let you keep talking. Um, well, that's. I mean, that's all I know about him. <laughs> but did she? Continue but I mean, to I think it's a, a worthy thing to know. Do we need to know, know anything else? Yeah. Climax. Shut up. You can't name a magazine. You can't name climax. climax. You Fuck. can't. Call that's it a, orgasm or something. Yeah. Just a monthly. God, I'd have a subscription to that. <laughs> um, and, and just knees. Does that mean the then the the shins are covered? Yeah, socks. Sort of ripped jeans is what the models yeah, yeah, are wearing. Yeah. <laughs> Shorts, high socks. Yeah. That's what okay. we're talking about. The sexiest yeah. oh, combo. You shouldn't be saying that in polite company, Adam. Salacious. The sexy clothes window, as it's often yeah. referred to. <laughs> Get a peek of my sexy clothes window. Yeah. Knee cleavage. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Kneevage? Yeah, kneevage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's equivalent, sorry, it's it's equivalent, elbowage. Yeah. Elbowage. Elbowage. Check out. Check the out elbows and the arms. Yeah. No, the boobs are the arms. <laughs> the sorry, elbows. the elbows are the arms. They are, yeah. That, <laughs> that one made sense. Yeah. Uh, I think of the wrist as the elbow of the arm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I see yeah. that. I see yeah. that. <laughs> uh, her game sold to Britain under the name, confusingly to me, Br'er Fox and Br'er Rabbit with slightly different rules. Okay. What? Yeah, it was made in Scotland. Okay. And yeah, it was. Is Br'er Fox and Br'er Rabbit like a book series yeah. or something? Yeah. Br'er Fox I don't or something, know. I think. Uh, yeah, it vaguely rings a bell. Anyway, yeah, that's a strange yeah. reworking of it. Okay. Um, and I think it was, you know, sl- not super successful, but yeah. According to Pylon, on April the 28th, 1923, Lizzie, now in her fifties and known professionally as E.M. Phillips, filed to update her landlord's game patent. She used the opportunity to revise some of the game's features, though the core of the game remained the same. Lizzie added Chicago-based spaces to the board, including Lakeshore Drive and The Loop, she also added small numbers on the outside perimeter, denoting separate property groupings. Now that's done by color, but mm-hmm. so even that she she'd already done. Yeah. I mean, she didn't make it color though, which is probably it's certainly more aesthetically pleasing than yeah, numbers. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think they had it was all black and white back then. Like the world was black and white. Yes. Isn't there actually a thing where it was considered odd, like something that you would actually see a doctor about if you dreamed in color? Because uh, I, I think it was especially during the advent of black and white television, early television, because people saw things in black and white so often. Oh. If you dreamed in color, that would be a reason to go to the doctor. Wow. Yeah. Wow. They forgot that they could see color. Yeah, I know, which is crazy because everything aside, you look slightly left yeah. or right to the t- TV <laughs> yeah, and you can true. see color. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's amazing. That's bonkers. 
humans really shouldn't exist, should we? <laughs> like the, some of the dumb stuff we've done, it's like, oh, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be here. I like the the idea that um, uh, Monopoly was invented by Darrow, not uh, Lizzie McGee. Mm. It's because, you know, it was colours instead of numbers and stuff. Does that mean, is there something we can do here by taking, you know, like Amazon Mm -hmm. and just changing something slightly and then owning our own huge empire? I I wonder. I, if you want to create a competitor to Amazon, you are welcome to do so. Okay. I wish you the best of luck. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I wants to be involved. (laughs) Sounds okay. like a bit of work. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know Who has the time? And I'm not even married. I know. <laughs> you know, at this age. <laughs> I know. It's people a, are talking? Yeah. The things people say to me, they say, is he okay? I said, no. Of course not. At that advanced age? <laughs> Unmarried? Scandalous. <laughs> must have a tiny penis. You must have a tiny penis. <laughs> Wait, doesn't this mean I have a huge... No, you're right. It is a well, t- actually, I, I guess it's not been confirmed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. To be decided. Yeah. Schrodinger's cock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> while the game was commercially available, it was also being passed around from friend to friend with homemade boards. Mm. Uh, as the game spread, it became a favorite of academics and intellectuals being played at universities, including Harvard and Columbia. <laughs> Harvard. Harvard. Scott Nearing, a professor at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School, was one of many university professors who used it as a teaching tool. Another one was Columbia teacher uh, with a fantastic name, Rexford Tugwell. Get the fuck <laughs> out. <laughs> Rexford yeah. Tugwell. Uh-huh. Rexford yes. Tugwell. Uh-huh. Rex Tugwell. Yeah. And he's like a he's a professor. Yeah, he's he's, a te- he's no, teaching but, it up. But by but by night he's like an explorer. Yeah, he's by an night, Indiana Jones. Yeah, that's by right. night he features in Climax magazine. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Rexford Tugwell. Holy shit! Yeah, one that of the is greats. good. That is a name you see in a movie and go, bloody hell! They had some fun making up that name. <laughs> but this is a person's actual name. Yeah, his parents had fun making up. Rexford <laughs> Tugwell. Yeah. See, that's why marriage. Is so time consuming because as a wife, you spend a lot of time coming mm. up with incredible names. Yeah, yes. they don't just yes. happen. And I guess it's like you take forever to pick a husband as well because you're like you're trying to find the tugwells of this. That's world. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to get a good. Can't take too long though. You don't want to get to you know like your late teens and not <laughs> yeah, be married. Oh my god, how embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> According to Pylon, the Nearings. So this is Scott Scott Nearing and his partner. Uh, from the professor from the University of Pennsylvania, they were among those who started calling the landlord's game Monopoly or the Monopoly game, shorthand for what they felt was the game's core message. Mm. Uh, so that just sort of started happening organically as the game was being passed around. It's also possible that uh, Nearing didn't even realise that McGee had invented the game because, you know, it had been passed on. Mm. People were just hand-making their own game. You know, where you know it's di- different times. Yeah. Uh, people are able to, be, they're better at craft back then. So sure, people yeah. crafting their own versions. It's kind of fun. I, I don't think that really happens anymore that people pass around a homemade version yeah. of something. Like word of mouth games. Mm. It's really interesting. So people, they, they'd have a games night or something and the guests would be like, oh, we love this game. Um, and then they'd make it before they go home, I guess. 
That's very cool to imagine. I quite like that. Yeah, I, I think it's yeah. really, really nice as well. And I think um, McGee, I don't know how much she knew about it, but the vibe I get is she wouldn't have minded that. Yeah, I don't think so either. She, yeah. she was happy for the, the game and the message to be being spread. No mm. one's making money out of it. It's just like this sort of nice organic thing. I, I can imagine other people would be like, hey, whoa, go to the shop and buy it. Mm. <laughs> you dogs. As the game was passed around, it slowly evolved. In the late 1920s, a college student in Indianapolis named Ruth Hoskins was taught the game by her friend Pete and James Daggett, her friends Pete and James Daggett, who referred to it as Monopoly as well. The Daggett brothers taught Hoskins how to play and, according to Pylon, showed her how to make her own handmade board complete with residential properties, railroads, and utilities. All the board's property names reference Midwestern and Northeastern locales, uh, among them were Gross Point in Michigan and the Bowery in New York City. The board had jail and go-to-jail spaces, and players received $200 every time they passed go. So a lot of these things that you know, are, you're know still familiar with. Obviously, yeah. the, the locations were different. They were being changed as the, the game moved around different places. I guess that's kind of always been a tradition of Monopoly, to change the places to being more local names. Yeah. 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 I think there is, like now there's even like a Melbourne version, a yeah. Sydney yeah, yeah, version yeah. and Pokemon whatnot. version, a Star Wars version. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, there's any, pretty much any niche you interest you have, yeah. there's probably a Monopoly version of it. Yeah. Uh, then in 1929, when Ruth moved to Atlantic City to become a teacher at a Quaker school, she brought the game with her. Uh, she introduced it to other Quakers, including her teaching colleagues Cyril and Ruth Harvey. Ruth was a big name back then, yeah, apparently. A bit of Ruth on Ruth, actually. Love actual a Ruth. Man. Yeah. Ruth's good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Harveys loved the game and started hosting popular Monopoly nights at their house. I love it. The Qua- these Quakers know how to party. Yeah. I don't oh, fully yeah. know what a Quaker is apart from they make oats. I think it's like a... <laughs> Ah, actually, no, they were never involved in that oh, and never very in upset that oh. they have been... Yeah, yeah. No, Used as branding. Yeah, because... That is a the, weird choice. I don't know the name of the person who owns owned the company or whatever, but when he was designing the brand, he was like, well, people trust Quakers, oh. so I'll call it Quaker Oats. And the Quaker community were very upset. That's a, such yeah. a weird choice. Yeah. I should before... I mean, I'm going to mention Quakers a little bit, and I didn't look up what it actually means. I should probably... That's like a denomination of Christianity. Right. Kind of, I guess, uh, yeah. Let's uh, I mean, let's just check in with this great resource I've just stumbled upon called wikipedia.org. Oh, yeah. And I think I, I've heard of them. Yeah, must... I guess it's sort of like a, a Is that Quaker... Like- Compendium of Quaker knowledge. I oh, I, I thought it was like a Encyclopedia Britannica dot com dot au sort of thing. Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, I've only just stumbled upon it now, so I, I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. But all I've seen of it mm. is that it's got Quaker stuff. Quaker stuff. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Yeah. You know, I don't want to jump to conclusions. We shouldn't. Uh, it says Quakers are people who belong to a historically Protestant Christian set of denominations. Uh, known formally as the Religious Society of Friends. Yeah, isn't that cute? <laughs> oh, that's nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that was funny. <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> Members of these movements are generally united by the belief in each human's ability to experience the light within or see that of God in everyone. All right, so so yes, the Harveys and 
uh, these Quakers. I think one of the Harveys is a principal at the school, mm. the yep. Friends School. That makes sense because the schools are called the Friends School. Yeah, okay. Um, but I instead I wrote down Quaker School because I'm like, no one's going to know what Friends School means. Uh, according to Pylon, Ruth Harvey created copies of the game for her friends on a long sheet of oilcloth that covered the entire dining room table. Using a small paintbrush, she drew thick lines to separate the board's properties. At some point, a corner space on the board that had originally been a community park had evolved into free parking. Atlantic City hotels had started using that phrase in their marketing materials as more and more travellers were now arriving by car rather than by rail. Huh. As a kid, that always confused me, the free parking square. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? But Free parking, I, I guess. Mean, it's, yeah, it's just, there's a picture of a car. I probably yeah. should have put it together. Huh. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Rayford, a real estate agent and friend of the Harveys, assisted Ruth by making little wooden boxes to use as the game's houses. Jesse then experimented with using colour sequences on the board, finally deciding to divide the properties into groups of three. Closely familiar with Atlantic City property values, he also affixed prices to the board game. Uh, the Quaker community were also responsible for adding local Atlantic City street names to the game. According to Ruth Hoskins' friend, Ruth Harvey's daughter, Ruth Mavronolos. What? <laughs> Why so many Ruths? Do we just not know this person's name? Can we not just name them? <laughs> well, I just wa- I really wanted to let you know that it was she. Her name is Mo- <laughs> her name is Ruth Mavronikolos. That's an incredible name. But she's yes. the daughter of Ruth Harvey, who is the friend of Ruth Hoskins. Yeah, I just wanted A you to know that Ruth. we're in we're in Ruth country now. We're we're in the Ruth of it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So every space, according to Ruth Mavronoclus, uh, every space on the board is somewhere that her family lived or their friends had lived or where we- wealthy people lived. So they're all okay. direct mm. references and they're the ones still on the American version of the board to this day. Ah. Uh, in 1932, Jesse Rayford passed on. Sorry. 1932, Jesse Rayford passed on this Atlantic City version of the game to his brother. Eugene, who lived in Philadelphia. Eugene, another great name in my opinion. Love, big fan of Eugene. Not enough Eugenes. Eugene. It'll come back. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, Eugene, the sort of name for someone who works on a train, my opinion. If you work on a train, good chance your name is Eugene. Or good chance your name should be Eugene. (laughs) Yes. And if you're thinking about changing your name, consider Eugene. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in turn, the Rayfords taught the game to his Philadelphia friends, Charles and Olive Todd. So so the game is big in Atlantic City. They're having big game nights and stuff. It's been passed around there. It's evolving. It's, uh, they've put a bit of their mark on it. And then um, Jesse Rayford passed it on to his brother, Eugene Rayford, who lived in Philadelphia. Oh, Eugene's wife's name, by the way, was Ruth. Yeah, wasn't this around the time where everyone's name was Ruth? Like, yes. literally everyone in the world? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I yeah. think this would have been around that time. It was around yeah. that brief time period, that, yeah. Yeah, that, like a decade between yeah. Yeah, 1922 and 1932, everyone was Ruth. Everyone, yeah, everyone was Ruth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was a real weird blip. Yeah. And fully coincidental. No one had sort of talked about yeah. it. Yeah, just everyone was Ruth. There was no mm. collusion. Yeah, yeah. It was wild. It was. Yeah. yeah, the list of... Popular babies' names was very short. It was just Ruth. <laughs> Even pets. Yeah. All yeah. pets were Ruth. They were all Ruth. Crazy, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Every pigeon you see, Ruth. 
Yeah. Mm. They're all descendant from a roof. <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, what? <laughs> <laughs> that was very good. Bless. Thank you. So it's been passed via the Rayford brothers. It's now ended up in Philadelphia uh, with Charles and Olive Todd. By this stage, as well as the Atlantic City place names, the game featured Go, free parking, community chess, and chance spaces, all evolutions of concepts McGee had included in her game 30 years earlier. So they're not all brand new things. They just, you know, went from a park to free parking. Yeah. All these, you know, you can see a direct line. Quick question. Mm-hmm. Everyone here, when you play Monopoly, mm-hmm. is free parking the space, when you land on it, do you get the cash? The cash taken I haven't played teams. in a long time, but I reckon that's how we used to play. Yeah, I think and so. Apparently that's not a real yeah, rule. it's not a real rule. It's just the most popular home rule. And it means yeah. that the game goes for way longer than it oh, otherwise yeah. would. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting because people complain about how long it takes. Yeah. And one of the rules that's not one of the rules is one of the reasons it takes so long. It's very funny. That's funny. I, I didn't know that until this week reading about it. I'm like, no shit. I thought <laughs> that was the point of it. Uh, so people like just don't read the rules, I guess. And People see free parking and they think, oh, yeah, free, free money. I get money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Free I get money. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm seeing mm. on the board here. It says free, I get money. <laughs> so Charles and Olive Todd love the game. Olive is, I'm guessing, a nickname. I assume her real name is Ruth. Yeah. Uh, they love the game. They invited their friends over to play. Bit of a double date. Their friends were the couple named Esther and Charles Darrow. So <gasps> Esther, again, a nickname. Her name was yeah. Ruth. Yeah, of course. Ruth and also Darrow. Darrow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's now, and now there's at this amongst these four, there's two Charleses as well. So it's all Charles and Ruth. Stop it! Genuinely though, there seems to be like six names in this story. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any close friends that you hang out with on a regular basis that have the same name as you? Yeah, but that none of them are known as Matt. Oh, right. and okay. I'm probably not known as Matt to them. Yeah, right. Mm. Yeah, there was a, there was a there's one group of old friends where there's like. Four or five mats. That's too many mats. So everyone's just known by their surname. Yeah. That's wild. There's a lot of Toms at Sans Pants, and we call them all different things. But there's no other Adams, or not in any of my friendship groups. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't I don't have another Jess. And I won't. I refuse. Yeah, that's, that's not a fair. coincidence. No, no, no. That's, you just that's a refuse to befriend any Jesses. That's right. I, there was only one, and yeah. it is me. <laughs> yeah. I'm everyone's Jess. You're in the No Jess Club. I don't even like it if my close friends have another Jess. I'm like, "Mm, I don't feel comfortable with that. So you cut them off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Or you at least give them an ultimatum. Yeah, so it's me or the Jess. Yeah. You're not brutal about it. You give them a choice. Yeah, give them a choice. That must be confusing if they don't know which Jess you're talking about. (laughs) Well, yes, if they've got multiple Jesses too. Mm. Well, then it's like, well, this is a lost cause. Yeah. See see you later. See you never. (laughs) Better to prune the dying flesh than to... Yeah, deal with it. Yeah, uh, fair I enough. Won't. I won't do it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, corner pylon, at this little double date with the Darrows and the Todds, the two couples sat around the board enthusiastically rolling the dice, buying up properties and moving their tokens around. The Todds were pleased to note that the Darrows liked the game. <laughs> In fact, they were so taken with it, <laughs> Charles Todd made them a set of their own and oh. began teaching them some of the more advanced rules. The game didn't have an official name. It wasn't sold in a box, but passed from friend to friend, and everyone called it the Monopoly game. 
Together with other friends, they played many more times. One day, despite all his exposure to the game, Darrow asked Charles Todd for a written copy of the rules. Todd was slightly perplexed. What do you want them, Todd asked Darrow. Darrow replied that he'd like to have them to teach other friends the game. Todd did as Darrow had requested and wrote down the rules. He then asked the Rayfords to review them for accuracy before giving a few copies of the rules to Darrow. The Todd's version of the game still used all the Atlantic City place names, but they had one of the names written with a slight spelling mistake. <gasps> Marvin Garden spelt Marvin with an I instead of the correct Marvin with an E. Embarrassing. Marvin Gardens being one of the places that Ruth Harvey lived at one point. Mm-hmm. As the Todds weren't from Atlantic City, it was an easy spelling mistake for them to make. Charles and Esther Darrow were struggling financially. Charles had lost his job as a salesman in the Great Depression. This is when Darrow had the idea of a new game, Monopoly. <laughs> well, hmm, yep, he had the idea of a new game. Hmm. Yep. Hmm. It's, he went down to his basement and it just came to him. This is the story he told. I've just had an idea of a of a network of podcasts, for okay. example. Yeah. And I'm gonna call it Sans Pants. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. great. That's pretty that's pretty uh, good. Yeah. Pretty Do you need a DM? <laughs> do you need someone to do dungeon mastering? <laughs> it's very unique and different and new. Yeah. <laughs> I it it, stra- it came to me. I went downstairs, <laughs> and this new game came to me. I was just reading this little, um, I guess you'd call it a rule book. I, <laughs> I was reading through it, and I was like, oh, Monopoly. Yeah, a new game yeah. that I've just thought of. Me, alone. Isn't it amazing? Just when he needed it the most, yeah. he came up with a million-dollar idea. Wow. Uh, before selling it, he went about improving the design. He got an artist friend named Franklin Alexander to help with this. Over the following weeks, the two played the game regularly, with Alexander slowly adding illustrations. So Alexander was like a, he was a political cartoonist and stuff. Hmm. Uh, I don't think it's exactly known what elements Alexander added to the game, but it does sound like he jazzed it up a lot. Pizzazz. Yeah, he added pizzazz. He he gave it a certain, how do you say? Mm, Oh, how do you say? Je ne sais quoi. Yes, je ne sais quoi. (laughs) Certain certain specific, a little something something, uh, um, uh, a legally distinct. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he added that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, he got it looking even more like the game we're familiar with now. Even though uh, Darrow's initial version of the game was circular. I guess that was him going, no, no, this is different. <laughs> that one's square. It's Very not a game. pyramid scheme. <laughs> yeah. It's an upside down pyramid. <laughs> it's completely the opposite. Different. Yeah. Um, but apparently, so Alexander, it's, yeah, he, it's unsure, unclear which bits he did, but he might have done, you know, like it sounds like maybe the, the, the prison guard and those sort of things might have been his drawings. Mm. But he never saw any money from it. And he apparently wasn't really <sighs> upset about it. Apparently, he remained friends with Darrow for the rest of their lives. But, yeah, he never never really got any credit or money. Darrow took his creation <laughs> and stole it? Well, you know. We have no evidence of this ever happening before from Darrow. According <laughs> <laughs> to Pylon, it's unclear whether the early Mr. Monopoly was Alexander's creation, but the original character, which is stylized and drawn in thick black lines, bears a strong resemblance to his cartoon work. 
Can I say mm. I, th- this might be this is neither really here nor there, but the the the. I, I assume the thick black lines is something that the original source material keeps saying. It's just weird that they keep describing things as being thick black lines. The lines in between all of the different spaces were thick black lines yeah. as well. Yeah, that's The right. drawings are thick black lines. <laughs> mm. I think at one point, thick black lines are what the, the names of the places are written <laughs> as as well. <laughs> I just think it's really, really... All right, we get it. They're lines. They're lines. Distinct. We can see them. Yep. You know, uh, Ruth wrote her name in thick black lines okay. as well. Which one? Yeah, which Ruth? Uh, Ruth is also a plural for Ruth. Oh, <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> it's like the collective noun of Ruth. Yeah. We've got a Ruth of Ruths yes. right now. Uh, inside the game were more illustrated figures, including a scolding police officer and a criminal sulking behind bars in the jail space. Yep. The go-to-jail and railway property cards were virtually identical to the cards found inside Monopoly games today, but the chance and community chess cards were still devoid of illustration. Property cards were printed on assorted colours of paper and paper money, including a $500 bill. Uh, the new art and elegant packaging of Darrow's game elevated it to something approaching a work of art. A game people would want to bring into their homes, present to their families and friends, and play for hours. So uh, that's Pylon's words there. I think she. Mm. I think uh, people do want to go give Dara some credit for adding, like a lot of other people have before. He added something sure. as he had it. Yeah. But he just took credit for all of it. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> So even though Darrow fully ripped off the game, he did add a bit to it as well, at least with the uh, help of his friend Alexander. Darrow found a local printer and started selling his version of the game independently, but it was selling quite well, so he wanted to look into getting it sold through one of the big players. He contacted two of the big guns, uh, Milton Bradley, who I think was around for longer and was mm. one of I mean, these were the two big guns when I was a kid. I don't know, Parker Brothers maybe wasn't as big at the time. But that was still pretty big. So he, he sent letters to Parker Brothers and Milton Bradley going, check out this brand new game I've invented. Yeah, it's How did it come to me? I don't know. I was in the basement. And I know it's going to do incredibly well because heaps of people are already <laughs> playing. I mean, people are just going <laughs> to love it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know why, but I know it's got a captive audience. <laughs> <laughs> you can't ask any follow-up questions, but... but like, trust me on trust this one. Trust me. Or Winky Blinky. <laughs> He's written that out. Yeah. Winky Blinky. <laughs> like, reading it going, this is a very unprofessional letter. But I do remember playing this game. Yeah. <laughs> so I know it's good. I love yeah. this game. <laughs> well, it turns out the Parker brothers and Milton Bradley weren't familiar with the game, and they both uh, sent rejection letters. Oh. Oh. As it turned out, both companies were also doing it pretty tough. It was a Great Depression time, mm. and they it was were a good time to have depression, baby. <laughs> it was a great. <laughs> it was a Great Depression time. Shush! Absolutely shush! <laughs> the golden age for Ruths and depression. <laughs> Sorry, Ruth and depression. Ruth and depression. Uh, so yeah, both companies had pretty disastrous sales figures. Um. And maybe for that reason, they just weren't in a position to take on new games. So instead, he continued producing it and selling it independently. And before long, sales started really taking off. It was now being sold in many stores, including America's oldest toy store, FAO Schwartz. Side note, I'm like, oh, that vaguely rings a bell. And I looked it up, and it's uh, maybe best known, or at least to me, 
for its giant floor piano, which was featured in the 1988 film Big, where Tom Hanks oh. played ah. Chopsticks and mm-hmm. another old-timey song sort of dancing around on the board. Or the yeah. parody version in The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah, I think it's one of those scenes that's been parodied a bunch mm. because it, it was pretty iconic. Yeah. Yeah. Being featured in the FAO Schwartz catalogue brought the game back to the attention of Parker Brothers. In 1933, while Parker Brothers was struggling financially, founder George Parker stepped down to let his son-in-law, Robert Barton, take over the running of his company. Apparently he said to Robert Barton... So I, I guess George Parker had two sons and a daughter, and his two sons had worked for the company, didn't want to take on the main role, he asked Robert Barton and apparently said, I've run out of sons. Do you want to do it? And Robert Barton's like, okay. I've He'd never run worked. out of sons. <laughs> oh, God. You just married my daughter. And my daughter's too busy. <laughs> She's too busy being a wife. God. So, um, so, yeah, Barton said he'd do it. He'd never had no experience in the gaming world at all. His daughter, Sally, I guess, had grown up in the industry. Yeah. But she was busy being a wife. Um, yeah. so I remember the beginning of this? Where the ad Lizzie. in the newspaper? Yeah. Yeah. That was good. That was, that was good. fun. That was anyway, fun. keep going. Nah, it's a pretty uplifting story for sure. Yeah. Yep. After Parker's daughter and Barton's wife, Sally, heard about the uh, Schwartz's new popular new game, she told her husband and dad about it. So she did play a big role in them getting Monopoly. She's like, she'd heard about it. She's like, we should take another look at this. According to Pylon, Parker Brothers had rejected Darrow's game earlier because it was found to be too complicated and too wonky. wonky. And who would want to play a real estate game now anyway when housing was at the root of so much distress for uh, many American families? I'd love to play a game where I can afford to buy a house. <laughs> yes. Are you kidding me? Which I think is what turned out to be the truth. Why People do you think I like, play The Sims? Who? You can get a house for like 30 oh, grand. Yeah. Oh, man. That's an expensive house too. You could type in like five keys as well and just get a 10,000 simoleons or Easy. whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah. a new uh, cheat I learned the other day. You can just type in free real estate and move yeah. into any house you want. Whoa. Yeah. Incredible stuff. I remember <laughs> I used to play SimCity 2000 and I know you could type F-U-N-D, fund, mm-hmm. and it would give you $10,000. And I thought that was free. I thought it was a money cheat, but actually it's the shortcut to take out a loan. <laughs> 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 and you're in a lot so of you're trouble. Just there putting yourself in so much debt. I spent years being like, "Why is it that I do really well and then suddenly everything tanks?" Because <laughs> I would type like I would type fund six, ten, twenty times all at once. I would have these incredible loans that I would have to suddenly pay off. Oh man! And I thought the code was fun D. Yeah. <laughs> so. So they, they, Parker Brothers had rejected the game because they didn't think people would be keen on it. But with his firm poised for collapse and nothing to lose, Barton decided to listen to his wife and buy Darrow's Monopoly. Travelling from Boston to Manhattan, Barton summoned Darrow to the Parker Brothers showroom. What a cool progressive guy. He listened to his wife. <laughs> well, there was nothing else to lose. <laughs> well, I guess we'll give it a go, toots. Listens to his wife? Mm, he's, he, he's a true feminist. <laughs> Um, sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what I wouldn't give to have a man who listens to me. When I life. read that, I saw a lot of myself in him. I'm like, yeah. look, like you, I'm a feminist. Yes. 
I say, Tuggington, I had this <laughs> incredible idea the other day. <laughs> My wife, <laughs> I was ignoring her as I always do. <laughs> and then the craziest thing struck me. <laughs> <laughs> what if, <laughs> and this may sound crazy to you. <laughs> <laughs> so so he listened to his wife, he got on a on a Darrow, they had a meeting and Darrow quickly agreed on t- uh, to the terms. They drew up a contract that allowed Parker Brothers to buy Darrow's version of the game for a reported seven thousand dollars, which was quite a lot of money at the time. You know, tens and tens, maybe over a hundred thousand even. Uh as well as that, he also uh, got residuals, so he made money with every game sold as well. Uh, the version included artwork by Darrow's friend Franklin Alexander, but like I say, Alexander never got credit or cash for it, and all the details that the Quakers had added to the game, including the Atlantic City locations, the hotels, the colour groupings of the properties, the income tax, the 10% space, the Marvin Gardens misspelling that had originated with the Todds. And though Darrow would later claim it was his spelling mistake, since it's been found that the Todd's handmade game featured the same mistake, and that's been proven, and that all helped prove Darrow had ripped it all off. So that spelling mistake was kind of uh, crucial in some ways, proving the the true story. That's like, um, I'm so sorry. I know I keep doing this, but there's uh, a interrupting. Yeah. We said stay. Quiet. I know. I remember up, that up, is up, what up, I'm up, supposed up. to be doing. <laughs> Make like a 1910s housewife <laughs> and shut up. <laughs> <laughs> He's God. the feminist of the pod. Anyway, uh, what were you saying? Uh, I, there's a, like a real life thing where map makers will on purpose insert errors into ah. their maps. So that then they can tell if someone's copying their map because they can be like, this street does not exist, so you have to have copied my map. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's it. No, we didn't copy yours. We copied the guy who copied yours. You yeah. Know? yeah. <laughs> and there's an incredible Hang example. On. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh. <laughs> In that act out, I just realized what I'd done. Ah, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Love realizing of what you've done in an accident. <laughs> but uh, there's an incredible example as well of in the United States, I don't know the name of the town, but mm. a fake town was put onto a map. And then because people kept seeing this fake town, uh, a, just a general store was opened there. And the person was like, oh, I, I don't know the name of this area. And he finds the name of the fake town. And so he's like, fake oh, town wow. general store. And then a town builds That's up around amazing. this fake town. The, they all thought that was the name of the town, but it wasn't. That wow. is so good. Incredible. That's good stuff. That it's probably Gary, it Indiana. It. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That does sound made up. Yeah. <laughs> the only explanation. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be made up. Anyway, sorry. Please keep no, going. Of course, that's a great, that's the great city was, of Gary was named after its founder, Mr. Gary. Mr. Gary. <laughs> which is, Mr. Gary which town. is true, I believe. Mr. Gary Garrison. <laughs> All right, everybody, we'll be back after these short messages. Assuming some get put in here. If not, we'll be back really quickly. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching. <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalised results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> And edit it. (laughs) Hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. (laughs) (laughs) And you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Uh, Let's go back to the great Mary Pylon. Charles Todd didn't hear from this. There's so much of this so grim. And there's so many names. I'm struggling a little bit to keep oh, okay. up. Okay, so Charles Todd, well, he was one uh, one of the two who taught the game to the Darrow. Yes, 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 yes. Mm. Thank you. And he he wrote up the rules. Yep. Which were exactly the rules, the exact rules that Darrow yeah. put in his he game. He didn't even change them a little. Um. So Charles Todd didn't hear from Charles Darrow after he handed him the written rules to the Monopoly game. But they were friends. Yeah. Never heard from him again. He found that strange. He'd thought they were becoming really good friends, but Darrow seemed to be avoiding him. (sighs) Then one day, Todd saw Darrow in a most unusual place on a poster in a local bank advertising a demonstration of a great new business game called Monopoly by Charles Darrow. The sight of the poster infuriated Todd. He was angry not just with Darrow, but also with himself, being the one who taught the game to Darrow. He tried to confront Darrow, but when either Charles or Esther Darrow saw Todd walking down the street, they crossed the road or ducked into a store. It's hard to talk to people when they're... On the other side of the road. What can you do? What can I do? I can't cross the road. Yeah, it's funny, like the social rules back then. Well, I can't make a scene. Yeah. (laughs) They've crossed the road. I have to let it go. Todd felt that he couldn't sue Darrow over the game because he himself hadn't invented the game. He mm. just copied it from the Rayfords. He felt like there was nothing he could do. So he just sort of had to let it go. But Absolutely he, it, heartbreaking. It was, he was heartbroken. He, I mean, he just he just thought they were mates. Yeah. yeah. It's so brutal. Soon after buying Darrow's Monopoly, Parker Brothers also contacted Lizzie McGee. So you might be thinking, oh, well, you know, Parker Brothers, they would have had no idea about the original yeah. game. It's also quite, people are like, it's weird that um, Darrow was able to get uh, uh, a paint, a patent on Monopoly himself. Mm. Mm. It's like they should have checked and found that it, you can't. But yeah, somehow he got one. But obviously Parker Brothers found out about Lizzie McGee and her game because they contacted her right after buying Darrow's Monopoly. Yes. And they struck a deal with her to purchase the landlord's game patent and two more of her game ideas. 
and it sounds like she was only paid 500 bucks and no royalties. A much shittier deal than what Darrow got. Also a much shittier deal than, um, I'm not going to go into it, but there's a few other games that evolved out of uh, Lizzie's game. Yeah. And Parker Brothers bought them as well for much more money. Um, yeah, like 10 grand and stuff like that. I mean, you know, devil's advocate over here. She doesn't need more money than five hundred dollars. Yeah. She has a husband. Okay, that's, a good that's point. true. That's so true. So it's like, yeah. what's she gonna do with more money? Yes. Yeah, that's do you know true. what I mean? Like, yeah. But like the other people that they're they're buying games off, um, husbands. Mm. So mm. they need more money. That's true. To give to their wives. Yeah. 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 So well, to give an oh, allowance well, yeah. of uh, the yeah, money of to the wives to buy That'd I don't be know, crazy. Oh. vegetables or yeah. whatever wives buy. I don't know. Imagine a, a crazy idea, like <laughs> a woman having a bank account. <laughs> oh, God. Adam. We should make that a game. <laughs> okay. Like an alternate reality yeah, where well, women can have bank accounts. Yes, that's fun. <laughs> but, it's. Uh, I mean, it's also possible, I guess, that um, they – Oh, I mean, it's definitely true that they took advantage of her. She yeah. she wanted to make games, so she saw this as an in with them, uh, and she she thought she'd make more games. Whereas maybe the others, they knew they knew they needed to cash in or whatever. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. But she was also like someone who saw was like actively involved in the greater good. For sure, mm. I don't think she would want to be like, oh, perfect, I've sold this game and I'm a bajillionaire. Yeah, she yeah. she was she yeah. didn't like that the way that the um, society was going where people were just cashing in big time, I yeah. guess. But, yes, I'm definitely confident she wouldn't have mind have been a little more comfortable. Yeah. She was living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. She was earning 10 bucks a week with doing the typing. Gosh. 10 bucks a week. Which and I so th- then being paid 500 is like... Yeah, so that was a that was a bit of money, you know. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. A, a decent chunk That's of change. Huge. Yeah, I think especially compared to how much money Monopoly made. Yeah, yeah, five hundred dollars is quite a lot <laughs> yeah, compared true. to how much Monopoly made. Yeah, Monopoly didn't make much more than that. No, why did, yeah. did it even cover that cost? No, yeah, I, I don't think Parker Brothers made any money on that. To be honest, <laughs> well, I, I forget because I wrote this uh, in the last week. So as I continue reading, maybe we'll find out. But yeah, I think yeah. you're right. <laughs> Someone should check that. How much? Did, what, what did you say it was? Monopoly? I don't think I've yeah. heard of this. I don't know it. Yeah. I'm not much of a gamer, though. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So people mean when I say gamer? Yeah, I'm a gamer. (laughs) (laughs) I got Pokemon and Star Wars Monopoly. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah. I play Solitaire on the daily. (laughs) In my man cave. (laughs) (laughs) So the way I read it, they bought the patent to bury her game and avoid any legal action. Yeah. Right, yeah. Which I think is probably how most people would read it. Yeah. Um, they only produced, I think, 200 copies of the landlord's game. So part of the deal was, she said, but oh. it has to be made exactly like I want it to be made. And they only made 200 copies of it and they didn't really advertise it. Yeah, yeah. cool. So yeah. They, it was just real. they're like, they said they would to get the deal. We made it. Yeah, That's made the minimum amount. Oh, it didn't really sell, so yeah. we're going to oh, well. delete it. Mm, it's not nice. And they were clearly not open about their motivations in dealing with her because according to Pylon, in a letter to George Parker, McGee expressed high hopes for the future of her landlord's game after selling it at Parker <sighs> Brothers and the prospect of having two more games published with the company. Yet there's no evidence that the Parker Brothers share this optimism. So she she's like she was feeling like it was great. This was yeah. the start of a, a great relationship. They're going to make lots of games, and 
But yeah, she didn't realize that they were just using her to avoid like legal liability or whatever. Cool. Uh, despite the obvious similarities between the games, there was no mention of McGee on the new Monopoly box apart from her patent number in tiny print. So they like they've clearly admitted that yeah. the game's inspired by it. Mm. Didn't say that they were taking it. She didn't know about this Monopoly game, and or Darrow. She didn't know about any of that. So mm. um, when she realised what had happened, she was let's say pissed off. Okay, po <laughs> po'd. She yeah. was PO'd. She was peed right O. Well, I mean, you know, probably that time of the month. <laughs> Women. According, I can say it, Adam. It's okay. Uh, I, know, I, can yeah, say I know it. you can say it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I can say it because I'm a feminist. Jess can say it. Yeah. Because I, I let her. <laughs> <laughs> As the dominant male in this yeah. situation, it is up to you to ultimately decide what is and isn't. Well, acceptable. I don't like yeah. to put in those terms. I think of myself as a dominant feminist. Okay? <laughs> oh, Being oh, a male fuck. has got nothing to do with it, Adam. That's right. And that's kind of offensive, actually, to put it in those terms. <laughs> so, according to Pylum, in 1936, uh, she interviewed with the Washington Post and the Evening Star and expressed her anger at Darrow's appropriation of her idea. Then elderly, uh, you know, she, what? so by this stage she's in her... I mean, they're saying elderly, but she's I think what, she's in her 60s. Now? <laughs> 60s, yeah. Past the best yeah. years, her childbearing years. <laughs> now useless. <laughs> uh, so she hoisted her own game boards before a photographer comparing it with the Monopoly game board being like, huh? Yeah. So there, there's photos of her going, look, it's obviously a ripoff. Yeah. And you'd think that would have, like, just ended Monopoly, but it, it no, hardly no. made a dent in um, the whole the whole story. People were lapping up this Darrow story. Yeah. He just came up with it. It was the incredible. Great Depression. Yeah. He he need, he was desperate for money, and then he had this million-dollar idea. And it was a million-dollar idea. Monopoly became a smash hit pretty much overnight, selling 278,000 copies in its first year and more than 1 million... 750,000 the next, saving the Parker Brothers business and making Darrow a millionaire. $500, did you say? Yeah, $500. Yeah, cool. That seems about right. Yeah. Uh, she had a husband. It's true. And in one, I think in one interview, he did, Darrow did say um, that I, he said, I'd, I'd like to just say, put on the record that, you know, I couldn't have done this without a game created by. Lizzie McGee. But, yeah. Wow. I don't know how he still had the story of him inventing it out of thin air. and cre- That is an incredible, inst- a very tall glass of water to drink. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah what do you, what's that thing you call when you're like, you know the truth, but you're lying to yourself? Cognitive dissonance. Yeah, yeah. I think he had a bit of that going on. Maybe, yeah. maybe, yeah. Um. And all the while, it's it's booming, but all the while, the game lost its connection to McGee and her critique of American greed, and instead came to mean pretty much the opposite of what she'd hoped. It has taught generations to cheer when someone goes into bankruptcy. So it's brutal. Not only did she not get her credit for it at the, yeah. for years, she didn't make really any money out of it. Also... The message that she, I think if she just got that message out, she yeah. that would have been a win for her. I don't think she necessarily was that worried yeah. about being mm. the 
big name or making the big money, but she didn't get any of those things. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there's no happy ending for Lizzie McGee. In the 1940 census, taken eight years before she died, she listed her occupation as maker of games, and in the column for mm -hmm. her income, she wrote zero. In 1948, McGee died in relative obscurity, a widow without children. Neither her headstone nor her obituary mentions her role in the creation of Monopoly. So grim, so brutal, so sad. Mm. But, and, I, and I've been, th I'm like, for a podcast that's meant to be relatively light, sure. this is a pretty grim story. So I, I'm just trying to think, of what's, what's the positive here? And I think maybe the positive and more hopeful thing is that her story is now yeah. being told. By, by us. By us, by we me. Are, we are <laughs> the, so I actually, the feminist of Do Go On. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Resident feminist, yeah. No, not by us. I mean in generally. But. He loves to raise women up. <laughs> and I love when, when it's convenient to him and when it serves him. He loves to raise women. Well, you know women. when it's convenient to me? At any opportunity. That's right. Any opportunity. Any opportunity. I will raise up women. <laughs> yeah. He loves it, Adam. I'm not always free to do it, but when I am. And he's free to do it. He's got the time. I will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I pleasure in it. <laughs> I take pleasure in it. <laughs> I pleasure in it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you do pleasure in it. You wrote that article for Climax Magazine. <laughs> A lot of elbow. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not the story being told by us. No, no, I mean, no, yeah, no, I mean, sure, it, sure, sure. So I was just including us in it that we are heroes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the fact that there is such a complete story of how the game journeyed and evolved from McGee to Darrow via the university professors and the Quakers of Atlantic City is because of an economics professor named Ralph Ansbach. Uh, Ralph's wife's name at the time, by the way, of course. Oh, my <laughs> was Ruth. God. No way. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking wild. Going to pylon, in 1973, Ansbach began a decade-long legal battle against Parker Brothers over the creation of his anti-monopoly game. So he, he, he also hated monopolies. He thought he yeah. was an economics professor and he thought monopolies were bad for society, bad for mm. the economy in general. And he was apparently he was he was saying talking about this to his son, and his son was like, "We played Monopoly last night. And we had a good time." And and Ralph was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's right." He sort of had he he sort of had separated in his mind yeah. the and game. He, so he's like, "Okay, that's a good point." And he's like, "I'm going to make a game that is about the the key to the game is breaking up monopolies," and he called it anti-monopoly. Uh, and and then. He started selling it. It was getting a bit of traction. And then mm, Parker Brothers was, sent him a cease and desist. And he's like, he looked into it a bit. And he's like, no, he got advice. He's like, no, anti-monopoly, no one's confusing the two. It says yeah. anti at the start. I think the inclusion of the word monopoly might have been a bit of a bit of a downfall there. Well, maybe. Um, but in researching his case, he uncovered McGee's patents and Monopoly's folk game roots. Uh, ba the folk game roots being passed around, yeah. being called Monopoly, basically meant it was public domain, if he could prove it. And he became consumed with telling the truth of what he calls the Monopoly lie. Uh, he's a feminist. Yes. <laughs> he loves to raise women up. Yes. He, Ralph. <laughs> he says, uh, me, Ralph Anspach. I like raising women up. 
In a deposition for the case, Robert Barton, the Parker Brothers president, who oversaw the Monopoly deal, called McGee's game, quote, completely worthless and said that Parker Brothers had published a small run of her games, quote, merely to make her happy. They were doing it as a favor. We're really nice. It wasn't, it It wasn't, like how, what a bald-faced lie. Like it's so obviously not the reason they published the game. They published the game to get the deal that would take uh, legal risk away from them being sued. Yes. Uh, It took years, but Ansbach ended up winning his legal battle. Good. Meaning he could keep producing his anti-monopoly game and in the process help the Supreme Court finally vindicate McGee as the game's inventor. One of the key pieces of evidence was the Todd's version of the game with the misspelling of Marvin Gardens. Mm. When Ansbacht asked if he, uh, when Ansbacht asked if it was possible to use their old board game as evidence, the now elderly Charles Todd replied that he'd been waiting years for the opportunity. <laughs> he'd Says, been go like, get him. Yeah, he's like, yeah, <laughs> I've been waiting for Why this. Why do you day. think I kept it? Yeah. <laughs> go. Here's your two hundred dollars. Get him. <laughs> Uh, the court's decision helped lift the spirits of many involved in the evolution of the game. There's all these people who felt like they were part of the story. You know, the the Quakers, all the intellectuals, (laughs) and the academics at the university. Finally, the intellectuals get a win. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of them, Dorothea Rayford, one of the Atlantic uh, City Quaker crew, said that after 55 years she would finally be able to look at a Monopoly board and smile. <laughs> they met, there was a plaque unveiled in Atlantic City saying, you know, talking about how the Quakers there. And mm. it, it didn't mention Lizzie McGee. They also sort of took the credit for it, but <laughs> still, you know. <laughs> Darrow dined out on his story as the inventor of the game for the rest of his life until his death in 1967. And Parker Brothers didn't do much to stop this story being believed. He'd go around. He was. He appeared on TV and newspapers the rest of his life. Huh? Yeah, I invented the game. What a great story. Just so came to me. It mm. was just widely spread. Everyone believed Darrow was the guy. Amazingly, into the 2000s, boxes of Monopoly were still being sold with a version of Darrow's story inside. Probably in part because of this, the myth that Darrow invented the game has endured. And still people today would believe it. Um, yeah, this is amazing. This is after that court case that ended in the eighties. Wow. God and the, the story sort of came out, but still, yeah, it's such a powerful bit of mythology, but this is changing. And this is what I think is the, maybe the positive to come out of it. While the makers of Monopoly still don't seem to credit McGee at all, uh, that, which is now Hasbro, Hasbro bought out mm-hmm. yeah. Parker Brothers. They also bought out, uh, Milton Bradley as well. Also bought out D and D. Yeah. So they, funnily enough, they've. Got a bit of a board game monopoly. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so they do. But if you search for the inventor of Monopoly online, Lizzie McGee's name will now come up. That's like, if something. you see Monopoly inventor, her name comes up like that's all the results. Uh, and I think that is in some part because of Mary Pollan's articles, obviously in a big part because of Ansbach's court case. And now a big part. Because of your work here oh, today. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had a bit of spare time. Thought the, maybe I could find a woman to raise up. <laughs> the three big voices yes. yeah, yeah, revealing yeah. the Monopoly story. Uh, Matt, Ansbach, and there was some third. <laughs> Mary? I, I yeah, don't know. No, no. 
doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Whoever that third person. Let's call her Ruth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so the book she published, Mary Pollan's book, is called The Monopolist's Obsession, Fury, and the Scandal Behind the World's Favorite Board Game. And it's worth a read if you want to hear more. Um, it's a great book, but unfortunately Hasbro, the now owners of the of the game, were not at all forthcoming with information no. for Pylon when she was making the book. Oh, it doesn't sound right. A, not, a, a note in her book says, My lists of over 200 fact-checking questions and follow-up contact attempts went unanswered. When Hasbro purchased P- Parker Brothers in 1991... It's likely that it also purchased a trove of George Parker's diaries and neatly organized game library, which it has declined to make available to researchers for decades as it declined my request to access them. So they have like, well, yeah, because there'd be so much evidence in there that they've ripped so many people off. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it weird? Because normally people who aren't hiding anything, hiding anything would... Um, just release it. So it's strange. Well, well it would be like such an interesting part of history. Yeah, exactly. You'd make that, a little museum out of it. They'd be re- You would think they'd be super yeah. keen to tell the yeah, story. Yeah, good on, uh, uh, good on them for making two hundred requests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe I this is like the one. <laughs> yeah, I feel like after the fifth, I'd be like, they're probably not going to respond. Not gonna respond. <laughs> she goes on to say, Monopoly continues to be among the best-selling commercial board games of all time and lives on in its classic cardboard incarnation as well as on iPhone, iPad, and other digital platforms well over a century after Lizzie McGee drew her original game. Yeah, it's, it's amazing that it's still such a, an iconic mm. thing. You know, the Monop- Monopoly version of it. It's in all these movies and stuff. They played it on Sopranos. Mm. You know, it's it's been referenced in every th- bit of pop culture. Yeah. I, feel, I feel like, for me at least, a bit of a lesson from this has been that if you want to truly capture the spirit, the original spirit of a game of Monopoly... You should make your own, yeah, and yeah. not purchase one. Yeah yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, yeah, and then you can you can make whatever you like. You can make your own. You can put your own misspellings in there. Yeah, you can yeah, name right. the streets after your friends' streets. Yeah, whatever yeah. color you want to make the board, make it that color. It's fun. I think that that's a great call. I would make every second tile jail. Oh, oh God. every second, but. Only one go to jail tile soon. So you get to pick which jail you go to. Call it Monopoly <laughs> hard mode. <laughs> uh, I'd love it if uh, if a listener put together our own homemade Monopoly and sent us some photos. That would, that would be, be good. Um, yeah, apparently, so American trademark law or whatever. I get confused between trademark, copyright, and patent law. Yeah, but right. Yeah. Apparently, it's it used to be 50... 50 years after the death of the inventor. That's, I think, for copyright. And now it's moved to 95 since the invention. So apparently now, at the moment, They're gonna be it's going to run out at 2030. But they've ch- it's been pushed back a couple of times. Ah. American you know, politicians have Big pushed push back. Big push by Disney, actually. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think it's actually called the that referred to as the Mickey Mouse yeah, yeah. law or whatever. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much... That's the story, which you know, it's a roller coaster mm. and it's brutal. But I just, I, I, I'm glad I now know of Lizzie McGee. Yeah, and, and I'm yeah, a, raising her up. <laughs> no, no, I just, I just think she's great. Um, and I thought maybe Jess, if if you don't mind, I could finish with a few fun facts. Well, well, you can finish with some facts. Okay, I'll finish with some, and facts. I'll decide if they're fun or great. Not, as fantastic. is my role, Adam. I'm the one who okay. decides if facts are indeed fun facts. Well, that's good to know. All right, so how I'm about a this? Fun policeman. I, Good to not have to worry about, oh, is this going to be a fun fact or not? Yeah. Oh, you'll tell me. Oh, I'll yeah. thank you. Know. you. Yes, yes. You know. Am I having fun with this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's r- my, ugh. 
As a it keep going. <laughs> <laughs> in 1936, Parker Brothers licensed Monopoly for sale outside of the United States. This is one year after they started making it. And British <gasps> intelligence had special versions made for prisoners of war held by Nazis. The game, the games had maps, compasses, and mm. real money to aid escapes. So it'd have like cash from whatever countries they were being what? held in. Yeah, I know. How cool is it? I knew this one. That's a fun. <laughs> well, is it fun though? That's yeah. a fun fact. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. What if I was like, no? I was so, I'm so, I was so, I was so scared that wasn't going to yeah. be a fun fact. That would ruined your I day. I probably, I actually feel like I maybe have started with the the maybe the only fun fact. But here's some other facts. <laughs> here's some facts. <laughs> yeah, I would have ended on that one. Uh, the British rights to the game were acquired by the Leeds firm of Waddington's and the slightly bizarre choice of London streets was based on a flying visit to the capital by one of the firm's, firm's employees, which I didn't realise that they're random, but apparently if you're from London, I guess they're like, oh, they pick some weird streets. Ah, that's interesting. Hmm. Curious. But it was because it was not a local Londoner. Yeah, they just turned up and like wrote down some street names as they had a wander around. Hmm. So there you go. Nailed it. No one will know. I don't know if that's fun or not. Um, That's somewhat fun. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, when the character of Mr. Monopoly was first created, he wasn't given a name, but was reportedly modelled on J.P. Morgan, some rich guy from the olden days. Ah. Uh, in the 1940s, he was given the name Rich Uncle Pennybags. But since then, but since then, Hasbro has officially named him Mr. Monopoly. Which okay. I think is a downgrade from Rich Uncle Pennybags. Pennybags? Mm. Yeah. That's so good. Uh, according to Hasbro, the record for the longest game of Monopoly is 1,680 hours or oh 70 my days. Oh, God. Is that a dream of yours, Adam? <sighs> you know it, yeah. 70 days. <laughs> oh, yeah, that sounds so fun. Sounds so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's that's... I feel like more of a depressing. But film. like, are you playing for five minutes a day? Like, yeah. Well, just I, to just to stretch it I out. I feel like it must be like obviously it can't be the same people playing it that whole time, or they would have died. So it must be like a well, how like many a bit hours of a relay was it? Game. Was it hours and then days? No, well, it's just two versions of the same amount of time. I think sixteen hundred and eighty hours or seventy days. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm reckoning they're not count. They're. I think they're taking breaks. And I think they're counting those breaks in time. And yeah, I big that's time. Fair. I'm guessing. I and the breaks playing... are three weeks at a time. Yeah. It, even if they were playing for an hour a day, actually, that's still 70 hours. Imagine they, how long hard. you can't use the dining table because of that. Oh, oh, my God. Yeah. And you're like, it's like I they've gotta... started one of those big puzzles that you never finish. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Made, I made the wrong choice to cook a roast tonight. I'm trying to eat it <laughs> off my lap. <laughs> they might have played by Lizzie McGee marriage rules, three days on, four days off. Yeah. Oh, that would have been nice. Yeah. That's the dream. I'd mm. love four days off marriage. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I wrote this one down late last night, and you can tell that because it says accordion to monopolyland.com. <laughs> yes, accordion to monopolyland.com. <laughs> accordion to monopolyland.com. When Charles Darrow first developed his version of the game, he intended for people to use random household objects as tokens. And I think maybe that had already been a thing. Ah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, and it was his niece who suggested including charms from her bracelet instead. Ah. And so the eclectic playing pieces took their place in history. Oh, mm. that's cool. Yeah. So if if you have the the stomach for it. Oh, that was that's Irish Siri. 
I didn't get that. I didn't get that. Can you try that? She again? feels less patronizing than the Australian man, so I changed <laughs> I it. I get that. Yeah. yeah. I get that. Do you want to try that again? No, sometimes I would say, hey, Siri, <laughs> You want to have another and, go? And <laughs> he would go, hmm? And I felt dismissed. Huh? Hmm? Like, yeah, what? Annunciate. I'm like, it's your fucking job to listen out for what I'm going to say. Yeah, your one job. So I made it Irish lady and she's much nicer. So if you've, if you've got the stomach for it, I can now give you, and this is also accordion to monopolyland.com, I can give you the... A brief synopsis of the journey of the tokens over the years. Please, that's well. It's, it's like five minutes. Surely have, the journey's always time? been like. Surely we know the journey. You start at one end, you go round, <laughs> you hit go again. Oh, okay, uh, no, it's a journey, yeah. right? It's, I've been playing it wrong. It seems. <laughs> All right. Well, I can skip that then. Um, <laughs> so the six original Monopoly pieces in 1935. I don't know if you have a guess at these. 1935. Ooh. Yeah, I'm gonna guess iron. Iron, iron, iron is there. Uh, top hat. Top hat is there. Is oh, I don't think the car's going to be you there. Reckon? No, I don't think so. Because the car looks too modern in my eyes, at least for thirty. You're right. The car's not there. Okay, well done. Is the battleship there? Battleship's there. Yes. Oh, we're the nailing dog? this. You, well, you're oh my nailing god. It. Do you think the dog would be in there? Do, were dogs around back then? That's <laughs> three more. <laughs> three more. Let's. We'll go with dog. Dog's not oh. there. Okay. Um, uh, trying to think of a charm bra- bracelet as well. Yeah. Is think our <laughs> depression era. Okay. Uh, what's the, what's the saddest of all of the tokens? Oh no. The famous tokens. Poor. Saddest. Well, of all. oh the boot. The boots. Yep. I forgot about the boot. I'm, yeah. I'm blanking on everything else now. And was that the sad one? Oh, I was thinking of a different one. I mean, it's oh, not even that a sad. One. It, it was just saying. it just feels like a sad thing to have in a game. Okay. Hmm. It's like a, a food stamp. It's uh, <laughs> it's, it's something something yeah. a little metal food stamp. Yeah. Oh so, something used in sewing. Oh, oh a thimble. Thimble, yeah. Yeah, oh, that is. just like, oh, how fun! We're having fun now. <laughs> yeah, a thimble's involved. Also, why did you have a thimble on your charm bracelet? That is a bit yeah. strange. And the last one, which maybe I uh, was the cannon. Remember that? Oh, I don't remember the cannon. No, I think that my version of the kid, I think, had the cannon. Yeah, and I it, think the the in really old version we had at my grandparents' beach house might have had a cannon. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's the one. That was the one I had as a child. Yeah, brand new. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. uh, later in 1935, the race car was added to the yeah, game to make go. seven, and shortly afterwards, the purse was added to make eight. Oh, the purse. purse. I remember the purse. Over the next 12 months, two more pieces were added, the lantern and the rocking horse. Don't know those. To make what is considered to be the 10 classic Monopoly pieces. I can't picture the lantern, but I think I can remember the... Yeah, the rocking horse, I remember. The the first new piece to be introduced after this was the wheelbarrow in the 1940s. Wheelbarrow! (laughs) Right, that's it. I forgot about that one. Yeah. Along with the horse and rider, which is the one I always used as a kid. I don't remember that one. And this Scottish terrier. Yeah, the doggy. Little little doggy. So that was in the 40s. The car also gained a driver in the 1940s. (laughs) Oh, yeah, my version did not have a driver. I think mine also was Berefit. Berefit? Whatever. Didn't have a driver. Bereft of a driver, yes. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, it's, they were so far ahead of the game, driverless mm. cars, but um, <laughs> they went backwards in a lot of ways. Uh, but the driver only lasted until 1950, and ah, then they took the driver back out. Okay. In 1946, the Canon was replaced by a similar howitzer, 
uh, <laughs> while an airplane was also introduced, but only until 1950. Huh. It's amazing how many have come and gone. Yeah. Three other pieces were retired in 1950, the lantern, the rocking horse, and the purse, which is probably why I don't recall any of those. From 1950 until 1998, the Monopoly game pieces stayed the same. They were the dog, the battleship, the race car, top hat, iron, horse and rider, and howitzer. So that was a, that was obviously the version of the game I had came in that time. Yeah. Um, yeah, and those eight Monopoly game pieces formed the backbone of the game for many years. In 1998, with Hasbro now in charge, a new playing piece was added. 1.5 million people voted in a competition to decide whether the new token would be a sack of money, a piggy bank, or a biplane. With 51% of the vote, the sack of money won. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's the least interesting one. I reckon this is exactly what Lizzie McGee would have wanted. Yes. <laughs> a well, sack of money. Yeah. Sack of money. It's good. Putting hotels on my property and charging lots of money. It mm. didn't last that long, though, and was retired in 2007. Hmm. Uh, the sack good. of money was not the only Monopoly piece to be retired then. Two other pieces, the horse and rider and the howitzer, also retired the same year. So that's maybe why you two yeah. don't know the horse and rider. Maybe. I'm remembering the rocking horse, but it sounds like that was retired way sooner. Oh, so maybe. maybe it was a horse and rider. I feel like my game came from before 2007, but I oh, definitely, definitely don't remember the cannon or the howitzer or the horse and rider. Mm. Oh, I don't remember them. Um, but you were playing the Simpsons version. Yeah, I was. Yeah, <laughs> you always went with. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, I, the novelty. The I was Lisa Simpson, iron, of course. Yeah. <laughs> the inanimate I'm a carbon rod. <laughs> you are. You are also a feminist. I'd choose yeah. Maggie because I'm a little baby. <laughs> 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 That's a good reason. Yeah. Uh, no more changes would be made until 2013, when the decision was made to retire the iron. Another vote was held. And the cat won out over a diamond ring, toy robot, helicopter, and guitar. I remember that making a bit of news, the cat getting brought in. Although the Monopoly cat didn't have a name at first, she has since been named Hazel. Well, that's cute. She has since been named Ruth. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that would have been a nice touch. Oh, it would have been great. Should have been Lizzie Lizzie McGee. Oh, Lizzie would have been... I just, to Do you me, think Parker Bros or Hasbro are ready to acknowledge that no. at this point. But that, they own the patent as well. Yeah, I know. Just come out. It's a great yep. story. Put why don't they come out and just give her the props she deserves? Totally. Put in every game a pamphlet about the whole story. Yeah. I don't understand why they don't do that. Yeah. And they go, oh, these decisions were made by generations past, and we realize it was awful now, yeah. and we want to celebrate. The actual inventor of the yeah, game. I don't it's such understand. Such a cool story of how yeah. it started and how it sort of got passed around, and it's way more interesting than yeah, a guy I had a thought one had a night. Thought. Shut yeah. up. Who cares? Um, in 2017, the thimble, the wheelbarrow, and the boot became the latest retired Monopoly pieces. They were replaced in another popular vote, this time by the penguin, the T-Rex, and the rubber ducky. Okay, well, I'm playing T-Rex. That's for <laughs> sure. I like penguin. Yeah, penguin's cute. And after another popular vote on the 31st of May, 2022, Mm. very recent, Hasbro announced that the Thimble was the winner and would be making a comeback. And sadly, Jess, the T-Rex has now been made extinct. I'll find one on eBay. Yeah, Yeah. you're guaranteed. (laughs) I guess if you went to the shops now, you would probably get the last ones with the T-Rex. I can love a charm bracelet with all the the pieces from a Monopoly board. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. 
That would rule. When I was like 20, it was a big thing for 21st birthdays is you'd get a uh, a Pandora bracelet with charms and stuff on it. Yeah. And I was in a Pandora recently and they had um, – <laughs> I still have a charm bracelet, but I haven't worn it in a very long time. They had like – Marvel charms, and you could pay so much money to have a little Captain America shield. And it honest, I mean, if you like it, good for you. But I was like, and I love Captain America, but I was like, that is the lamest thing I've ever seen, and I want it. <laughs> I don't, that was a roller coaster. I that yeah, that, I didn't know I where like, that, that was going. Sucks. That's hilarious. That sucks. I, I love it. it. I love it. Just give me ten. I hate them. it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that's the story of the, the pieces. I mean, you could go in all sorts of directions talking about Monopoly, mm. about all the different so franchise versions, versions yeah. of it and all that sort of stuff. For but Christmas, I bought my dad a version that's like, um, it it's an express version. You're supposed to be able to play in like 10 minutes or something. Oh. oh or like, yeah, a really short period of time. So you just like. I think Parker Brothers were really nervous at the start about putting out a game that would take quite a while. Mm. But apparently we like. The common way to play it is takes way longer than the yeah, rules actually yeah, say. And yeah. in the the original rules, and maybe this the same rules now, there was one that said a briefer version of the game, play with a time limit. Whoever's got the most money yep. at the mm. end of the time, they win. Um, yeah, that's probably a better way to do it. All right. Well, uh, that brings us to everyone's favorite section of the show, where we get to thank our great supporters and if you want to become a supporter you can sign up at patreon.com slash do go on pod or do go on pod.com and yeah if you get involved there you are one of the what i like to think of as the best people in the world uh who (laughs) help keep this show running and we really appreciate it very much that's why we love to spend a little bit of time at the end to give you your dues. I and do recall, yeah, outside of the, before we started recording, you did say that you love everyone equally, but you love some people a little bit more yes. equally. Yeah, 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 that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that's how we like to phrase it. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm about to name a few of them now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, Jess, what are some of the rewards you can get for signing up? You can get three bonus episodes a month. You can vote on uh, most of the topics that we um, that we present on. Um, you get uh, access to a Facebook group, the most beautiful part of the internet. Yeah, you also, you, as well as the three episodes you get a month, you get the whole back catalogue of That's bonus right. episodes, and there's like 150 plus there now, I think, including yeah. a series of D&D, which we did with Adam Carnavale. That's right, that was a lot of fun. Which we're going to, I think we're, you know, hoping to do yeah, another series do another, of. Yeah, Because oh, I loved it, I had such a great time. And if it means sitting in one of these comfy sans pants chairs for yeah, an I'm afternoon, okay I'm down. <laughs> I'm also, and I still, I'm, I'm thrilled by this because quite early in the game, I said something a bit pervy, and Adam said, "Well, we found the Jackson of the group," <laughs> and I was thrilled by that. Yeah, that's. I think a about high it often. I think about it often. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> I I learnt the expression looking for strange <laughs> on uh live on air once, basically. Jackson taught it to me. Ja- he truly is to me. He truly is the an older boy told me to do it. <laughs> what a great influence he is. Yeah, that's oh, what you want. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I just remember I think it was when Jackson was on last. That uh, someone messaged saying they're uh, they're still trying to get their heads around how the younger generation of Australians have a bit of an American accent, <laughs> and I I think that might be particularly true with Sands Pants. I feel like you've got your own yeah. accent going in Sands Pants somehow. 
I I always attribute it to because uh, I as a kid, yeah, used to get all the time people being like, are "You, where are you from?" And I'd be like, "Oh, Melbourne." They'd be like, "Oh, you have a bit of an American accent." Uh, and I always attributed it to I watched too much TV as a kid. But my partner is American, okay. and they have told me that um, I do not, in fact, have an American accent. I have what they determined a nerd accent. <laughs> 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 uh, and I've been like, oh, is uh, that better or worse? I I don't. Well, it's neither here nor there, I suppose. <laughs> Wait, so the so what I think of as the Sans Pants accent is actually a nerd, nerd accent. accent. Look, this but is you only- wouldn't know that because you're a cool boy. <laughs> This is only according to my partner. I have spoken to other Americans and they have been like, no, it does sound kind of a little American. My partner's no my partner is very firm on the point that no, it is a nerd accent. Because if that's true, that's funny because that means the only nerds I know are sans pants people. (laughs) (laughs) Or Americans, I guess. All right. So the first thing we like to do is the fact quote or question section. And this bit, if you want to get involved in this part in particular, you sign up on the Sydney Schomburg level or above. And this section also has a little jingle, goes something like this. Fact quote or question. Ding. Dave usually does a ding there. God, I miss him. <laughs> is would it be acceptable if I did the ding? Would, would you love be, to do the ding? Uh, please. Okay, I'll know. go again. Fact, quote, or question. Ding. Oh my god, that was a great ding. <laughs> he always remembers the ding. <laughs> well, if you want to play all the Dave roles, you, I, there's some I'm great ha- fun to be had. There's some stuff coming up for you. I would love for you to project onto me. Fantastic. Right. All right. Well, uh, first, I'm going to read out four facts, quotes, or questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one comes from Betsy N. And they also get to give themselves a title. And Betsy's got the title of Random Fact Trap and Release Specialist. Oh, that's good. That's a great title. And Betsy's fact is, this might be a little relevant to you, Bop. Okay. uh, For uh, an upcoming trip. Hawaii is one of the few islands in the Americas that does not have hummingbirds. And it is illegal to import hummingbirds to Hawaii. Oh, Jess, I'm so sorry. What okay, well, d- first of all, I was going to see the hummingbirds, <laughs> and then I was also going to bring in some hummingbirds, some extras. Yeah. So I'm cancelling my holiday. Well, you could, you know, you could cancel some of that luggage requirement. I know you put in for <laughs> eighteen bird cages. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That could save me some cash. Maybe I could actually stay at a hotel now. <laughs> Instead of among the birds. <laughs> 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 uh, which, to be fair, was your dream. It was going to yeah. be beautiful. Yeah. Uh, the reason it's illegal to import hummingbirds to Hawaii is because they will pollinate the pineapple crop, allowing ah. the pineapples to develop seeds and in- and decreasing their market value. <laughs> it's a sort of a monopoly reason. Yeah. Appropriately. Importing mm. unauthorized animals to Hawaii is punishable by up to three years in prison and or up to $500,000. Wow. God damn. That's a lot. That's they're lot. serious. That's, yeah, they're yeah. Not, damn. They're not fucking about. What did you? What was Sims money called before? Mazolians. Simoleons. That's a lot of simoleons. <laughs> uh, thank you, Betsy. That's a fun fact. Oh no, sorry, that's a fact. <laughs> I assume actually. I don't even. I don't fun know fact. if it's fun. I, I don't know if it's a fact. Fun. Okay, great. The next and one. Great to know. Thank you, Betsy. You that saved is handy. me a lot of jail time <laughs> <laughs> and cash, <laughs> or half a million dollars. I'm not worried about the money. It's not about the money. It's about the birds. <laughs> <laughs> the next one comes from a man I like to call because it's his name, 
Gary J from the UK. Ah, Gary oh. J. And Gary J is offering a suggestion, but Gary's uh, title is Mr. No, wait, that's my dad's name. Just call me Gaddy J from the UK for short. <laughs> there, is there a pronunciation guide as well that comes along with that? Uh, I just have a stab each time. Oh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> it's, it's just fun to say. Give it a, give it a try. Hang on. <clears throat> oh, you give it to me so I can try and get yeah. it. Gaddy J from the UK. Gaddy J from the UK. Oh, that's Ooh, good. You that did it better just, than me, I think. Just, yeah. Just, I think Adam did do it better. Coming for your spot next. <laughs> <laughs> Soon, do go on. Will just be Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Glorious. And it'll be, honestly, it'll take it to new heights. And Gary writes, me, Sophie, aka the Swap Queen, mm-hmm. and everyone's friend, Siraj. So there's, there's three of the Patreon supporters, very active in the Facebook Patreon community That's there. Right. Active at live shows. Beautiful people. <laughs> uh, Sophie's <laughs> called the Swap Queen because she's organized a bunch of uh, Patreon Snack swaps Snack and swaps. book swaps. <laughs> yeah, maybe a magnet swap was maybe there. Maybe at some point, yeah. Uh, anyway, they're going to see... Oh, this would have been so perfect for the last episode we recorded. They're going to see Michelle Brazier and Reese Nicholson at Edinburgh Fringe on the 20th of August. Mm. Uh, saying, I just wanted to suggest the shows to others and maybe pack the show out with people from... Uh, do uh, <laughs> With people in Do Go On merch. Oh, anyway, yeah. ta-ta for now. That would be, um, <laughs> I think, I think. I mean, we had Michelle Brazier on the episode last week and she said she would absolutely love to see some do-go-on people in the crowd for sure. Um, it would probably be maybe a little bit baffling for Reese, um, <laughs> But, I mean, he would know what it is. Yeah, he well, he was us. on one of our live shows. Uh, yeah, the quiz show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so he knows who we are, that's true. But um, I think it would just be a bit of a baffling coincidence to him that there's a bunch of people in Do Go On merch. I'd love it. I oh, love I, it so I'm, much. I love it. If, uh, yeah, if anyone listening it can go on the 20th of August to either or both of those shows, get on to Gary J from the UK or tag us in and we can tag him in if you don't know his yeah. Twitter handle or whatever. Um, yeah, that'd be awesome. Great suggestion. Suggestion. Great suggestion. <laughs> Great accordion. Um, good, good job for going and checking out those shows because they're both uh, award-nominated and award-winning shows. As we learned last week. It's an honour to be nominated. And Michelle is an award-winning writer. She's an award-winning Just writer. Don't, when you go see the show, don't focus too much on the performance. She didn't win the award for that. Just like, listen to the writing. Yeah. Incredible. If you close um, your eyes and just picture the words on the page. What you need to do is bring the stenographer's typing, oh, yes. uh, the typographer, the type, <laughs> the machine they use, yeah. and, yeah. and uh, write it down as she's saying it, and then you can go away and you could properly appreciate it then. Yeah, you read yeah. it and go, holy shit, this is well written. Oh, you my know? God. Uh, thank you, Gaddy J. The next one comes from Ben Johnson, uh, a.k.a. Elizabethan-era playwright and poet overshadowed by Shakespeare. I reckon Be- I know Ben's in uh, in England, so maybe he he's a good show getting to the shows. It's yeah, pretty. Sm- it's a small, small sure. country. Yeah, it's it, there's not much to do as well. Yeah, you you'll bump into <laughs> you'll bump into normal eventually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Ben writes: Despite being born in Oxford, England, Stephen Hawking was often mistaken for an American citizen because of the accent of his computerized mm-hmm. voice, aka yeah. the nerd accent. <laughs> 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 After <laughs> text to speech is nerd accent. 
<laughs> after catching pneumonia in 1985, Hawking had to have a tracheotomy, which left him unable to speak, after which he used a voice synthesizer controlled by fac- facial muscles. The oh, I didn't know it was controlled by facial muscles. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Huh. Uh, the state-of-the-art text-to-speech system was developed at MIT. Senior researcher Dennis Klatt created a digital version of his voice called Perfect Paul that was adopted as the default voice of the system. At the start of a public lecture in 18, uh, 1986, Hawking joked, the only problem is that it gives me an American accent, he said to Big Laughs. <laughs> Despite this, Hawking quickly became attached to his new device. After a British accent was added as part of an upgrade in 1988, he asked them to replace it with the original saying his voice had become an iconic trademark of his identity. Mm. During a meeting with the Queen in 2014, she jokingly asked Hawking, have you still got that American voice? Hawking replied, yes, it is copyrighted, actually. (laughs) Ultimately, Perfect Paul had to be stimulated in new software to match his iconic voice. Hawking said, my old system worked well and I wrote five books with it, including A Brief History of Time. Sorry for the long fact. I tried to cut it down as much as I could, but I hope you found it interesting. P.S. Dave, which I guess is you today, Adam. Yes. Don't worry about covering history of time if it's not going to work. Live your own life. (laughs) Climb every mountain. Reach for the stars. Follow that rainbow. That's when your dreams will all come true. I'm glad I don't have to worry about the yeah. history of time. Is it the history of time book or is it just yeah, a history of time? Oh, oh, it, I don't know if suggest- you know this, but there's a lot of it. Yeah, there is a lot. But ben, uh, Ben's been suggesting for a while that Dave should do a book cheat on the history of time. I should do a book cheat. Oh, sorry, yes. yes. You, you should do a book, do a book cheat book on yeah. the history of time. But he's released you from that burden now. <laughs> so God. now you can oh. go and I guess do what Dave is doing and and travel around Italy. Yeah, if that's what you oh, want to do. Sounds nice. Yeah, yeah. It does sound really fucking nice. <laughs> <doesn't it? laughs> Especially not, it's gotten real cold in Melbourne. Yeah. Not bitter at all. No, 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 no. Not we jealous. Not well. bitter. Well. Yeah. Hey, yeah, he's entitled fun. to holidays, so you should, you know. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Don't wish I was spending six weeks <laughs> in Europe. Fucking hell. Fucking hell, mate. Fucking hell with this one. Uh, The last fact quote or question this week comes from David Loring, a.k.a. Pod Lexicographer. Is that? How's that? Okay. Uh, And David's offered a suggestion, writing, Hey, friends, I return with a few more words I feel should be in more common usage. Ooh. Okay, try these on for size. So we've got three suggestions here. Firstly, and David, I really appreciate that you spelling them out. Phonetically? uh, Phonetically as well as... (laughs) Oh, that's good. That's nice. That is... First up, we have vituperative, which means bitter and abusive, especially in relation to communication between or about people. You might talk about a nasty election campaign becoming increasingly vituperative. 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 Uh, okay. that's great. I like that. Um, yeah, I can't wait to someone, someone's being slightly rude to me. All right, mate, we don't have to be vituperative, vituperative. right now. <laughs> Odds of me remembering that word. Pretty slim. Very slim. Next one is contumelious, uh, which is rude in an obnoxious or spiteful way that shows a real contempt for someone with the added fun that you can deliberately emphasize the first syllable to sound like cunt. <laughs> Contumelious. Contumelious. Be interesting to find out if I can be bothered bleeping that. Nah, definitely not. 
Uh, it's deep into the episode. Yeah, yeah it's fine. fine. Kids are asleep by now. It's yeah. fine. I've left one in recently. <gasps> one of oh. mine. I always assume they'll be bleeped. Nah, never assume. Don't say <laughs> it if you don't. Somebody think of the children. <laughs> uh, what about defenestrate? Ooh, mm. I just like the sound of that. It's the act of throwing someone out of a window. Ooh, okay. That's, that's good. That's why I like it. This is nice. Uh, saying, please note, nothing about the definition says the window needs to be open before the throwing. Wow. Well, give me that word again. Defenestrate. That is good. That is good stuff. You got to it a lot quicker than me. I already... But you're I, oh, you knew yeah, that one. I knew that one already. What a nerd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got the accent, got the <laughs> vocabulary. <laughs> uh, so thanks for those great facts, quotes, and questions. The next thing we like to do, Adam, yeah. is thank a few of our other great supporters. And we normally give them a little... Normally come up with a little game Jess normally does based on the topic at hand. Yeah, let's give them what their... Um, like their little... Tight, what's their little their token, token thing? Yeah, okay, oh. their little monopoly token. And it, like, it doesn't have to be a, a, an existing yeah, one, yeah, it can be anything. I love this. All right, um, maybe we'll like we did last week. Do we go? Yeah, we'll go one. Do you want to go first? Yes, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> I would love to thank, <laughs> I'm thankful for, <laughs> I'm thankful for so many things. I would love to thank from uh, Lake Zurich in Illinois, Marius. Zinsky. This might be less name, more Lake Zurich, but I'm thinking Battleship. Ooh, oh, yeah, okay, okay. yeah, yeah. Going with a classic. Yeah. 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 A battleship on a lake. Yeah. Yeah, love that. Marius's Battleship. Fantastic. That's good. Like that. Well, Adam, uh, maybe you can come up with all of them. <laughs> I, I think that's great. Course, Jess and yeah. I will read out the names. All right, all right. You come up with, if, if you're comfortable. <laughs> oh, he's okay. let's do it. He Rolling up the sleeves. For I mimed. Did not actually, because <laughs> that's that's gross. That is gross and not very um, COVID safe. Yeah, true. Also not very COVID safe. <laughs> I so, would yeah, safe. like to thank from Doreen in Victoria, Australia. It's Declan Grant. Doreen, Declan Grant, Thimble. Thimble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Confident on that one. Yeah, yeah, great choice. I said it was sort of like a kind of depressing game token, but I also love it. I love it. I it's like elegant. It's simple. It's, yeah, a, it's I, a beautiful piece of... And as yeah. a child, you try to put it on your pinky. Oh. Yes, guaranteed. Yes. Every time. I love now, it. my finger's too big. Where you, like, can you really... You can't, you know, put on the boot. No. You know what I mean? Yeah, you definitely can't put that boot on. No. Absolutely Don't ask not. me how I know. You definitely <laughs> can't. Uh, <laughs> what do we do? We talk about what all of our chosen tokens were. Yeah. I said yeah. mine was horse and rider. What was your? You were. I was the car or the dog. Right. I'm a battleship. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I would also battleship. go car, car and dog tied second for me. I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was. I was a fan of the car and the mm. dog as well. A lot of good options there. But the symbol. I well. reckon there's a few good options, and then there's like I'd happily let other people go first, knowing that there would be enough that I like yeah. that I would get one I'm happy with. Um, but there's a few at the bottom of the list, you know, where you'd be like, oh, okay, fine. Yeah, I'll be the fucking Thimble. I'll be the Turkish delight yeah, of the what, Monopoly yes, board game. Exactly right. <laughs> I like Thimble because I, I think it's a sturdy piece. It's, yeah, not, gonna, yeah, it's not getting knocked over. Yeah, That's the true. horse is very yeah. skinny and, mm. yeah. well, you wouldn't know this. You don't recall. No, it, I wouldn't. Battleship gets knocked over. Battleship also skinny. Mm. Gets knocked over all the damn time. Mm. 
quite fun to sail when, yeah. you, when you're moving to imagine sailing. Yeah, because you don't have to like pick. But it's a horse you pick it up and go like clip clop, clip clop, yeah. clip clop. So there's there's pros and cons to all of them. Yes. Uh, I would love to thank from Croydon in Great Britain, Mitch Barrett. Mitch Barrett. And remember, Mitch. it doesn't have to be a real one if you don't if you want to go outside of the wow. constraints. You can do my trick of looking around the room. I do that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch Barrett, I'm going to give them Charizard from Pokemon Ooh, Monopoly. Yeah, Ooh. that's good. Mm. Which one's Charizard? Is that Pikachu? It's the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> have I answered my own question there? <laughs> that, that, that was good. I like that. That's... That uh, took me yeah, as Char- you, yeah. Charizard is Pikachu. Yeah, Charizard yeah, is Pikachu. Right, yes, correct. That, that is job. correct. Cool. Yeah, I'm oh, a yeah. bit of a pokehead. <laughs> I'm a bit of a gamer myself. I'm a bit of a Pokemon, if yeah. you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to thank someone? I'd love to thank from Amsterdam in the Netherlands, Arend Habema. Arend Habema. That man. one's getting the horse. Horse. Horse and rider. Oh, no, no, sorry. It's car and then car and rider. But horse and rider. Oh, okay. Arend. Hey, you and me. Yeah. We're both, hey, hopefully there's room for two on that horse. <laughs> get a big horse. Shush. <laughs> Clydesdale. Yeah, we could get that. Oh, yeah. We could get that giant golden horse from one of our previous episodes. Yes. Clydesdales are gorgeous. Oh, yeah. oh, I love a Clydesdale. They're big clippity clop shoes. Yeah. They're, they're wearing flares. Yeah, I was about to say, it's like they're wearing flare pants. It's it's great. Love it. So very, good. A very stylish animal. And they must love them as well because they're wearing two pairs. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to thank from Sorrento in Florida, Caleb Sellers. Sorrento in Florida, Caleb. So, uh, Sorrento gives me a bit of like a beach vibe. Mm. Yeah, I'm thinking Tarina. Tarina Arena? What's her name? Tina Arena. Sweet Sorrento Moon. Yes. Sweet Sorrento Moon. Do you reckon Tina Arena was singing about Sorrento, Florida? No, she was talking about Sorrento on the Mornings of Peninsula. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Beautiful place. Mm. Lovely spot. What's Caleb? I think that with? is the... Uh, the chance card that you won second prize in a beauty contest. Oh, <laughs> oh wait, I thought that was so funny as a kid. That's a yeah. great. That gag. is good. Great. Yeah. Classic bit. Yeah. Uh, always funny. Always good. <laughs> you got second place. <laughs> <laughs> You're not literally the most beautiful person. You are worthless. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that I'm sure uh, Lizzie McGee would have been stoked about. Yeah. Yes. Uh, happy with that. Uh, back to me. I'd love to thank, well, address unknown this person is from. Uh, so I can only assume from deep within the fortress of the moles. And I would like to say, I'd like to get ahead of the game here and say, I, for one, uh, welcome our new mole people overlords. But I'd uh, love to thank from the fortress, Norma Doodle. Norma Doodle. <laughs> love the name. Additionally. Yes. Uh, address unknown. That's a lot of that's a lot of uh, opportunity, and with a lot of opportunity comes the uh, uh, the original, uh, not the original, but the 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 Atlantic City version of the oh. game. Yes, the entire set. Wow! Is Whoa! What, is what is a minute, like a miniature version of the whole like yeah. entire set and board. Wow. Yeah, that is sick. I love that. Uh, that's so that's good. That's nice, actually. Yeah, I like that. 
A uh, few more I would love to thank from Sacramento in California. Oh, home of the Kings in the NBA, a team that I did not think was defunct on a recent episode. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I would love to thank Susie Costa. Susie Car without Costa. rider. Car without rider. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Also known as a driver. Driverless car. Uh, yes, that is correct. <laughs> driverless yes. car. Yeah, also without a driver, Jess. Yeah, just saying. It's without a lot of things. <laughs> I don't know why Adam specified rider. It's also out. Without a unicorn. It's also without a motor. <laughs> well, there just is two different versions, and maybe yeah. someone will present themselves that, that they are. Yeah. Okay, good point. Yeah. So we've got That's two right. more. I'd love to thank from Burton-on-Trent in Great Britain, KDW. The brief period where a Toyota Yaris replaced the regular car. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. A zippy little number, the Toyota yeah, Yaris. Nice. Yeah. Gets just... you from A to B. Yes. Oh, buddy, they'll just go forever. Beautiful to park in, in cramped city car parks. Nice and easy. Great Gorgeous. little zippy city car. Um, this episode brought to you by Toyota Yaris. <laughs> 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 and finally, I would love to thank from Bourne, Bowen in Texas, Ethan. Brundine. Brundine is a fun name. Yeah, a bit Ethan fancy. Ethan Brundine. Top hat. Top hat. Oh, you're Top right. Hat. Fancy. Yeah. Ethan Top Brundine. Hat. Thank you, Ethan. Love that very much. So thank you very much to all of those great supporters, Ethan, Katie, Susie, Norma Doodle, Caleb, Aaron, Mitch, Declan, and Marius. And the last thing we like to do here, Adam, is, yes. is welcome a few people into our Triptych Club. So you get involved in the Triptych Club after you've been a supporter of the show on the shout-out level or above for three straight years. What's the website again? Uh, it's patreon.com slash pod. Good to know. Um, so if you're if you're involved in that, you get welcomed into this club. It's lifetime membership. Oh, lifetime. You, it's the Hotel California. You can never leave. <laughs> I don't know if that's the same thing, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> One sounds distinctly like a trap. <laughs> um, so we've got three inductees this week. This is a bit of a theory of the mind game, and mm-hmm. uh, Dave's role slash your role this week, Adam mm-hmm. Carnavale, is an important one. You're the MC at the event. Oh. So I'm on the door. I'm the doorman. I've yep. got the clipboard. I've got the list. I'm going to read out the names, lift up the velvet rope, welcome them in. You're going to be on stage hyping up the crowd, which is hundreds of uh, Triptych Club members who are already there mm-hmm. enjoying themselves. Mm-hmm. Jess is behind the bar. She's going to be there to support you because yeah. mm-hmm. every hype man needs a hype woman. Um, and Jess, you're also behind the bar. What kind of cocktail? What's the Monopoly cocktail you've come up with? I've actually guests? got a series of cocktails, wow. and they are all like the colours uh, of the Monopoly board. So yellow, green, purple, ah. etc. Um, Yeah, so like, you know... Limoncello and Maduri and um, uh, Chambord for purple. So yeah, I've got I've got something for everybody. Not like last week where I just put all of the shots in one big glass. Um, That wasn't good, and we did have some complaints. So this time I've made like seven different. A lot of stomachs were pumped. (laughs) A lot of stomachs were pumped, but we do have a hospital on site. However, you say. I'm also the doctor though. What's blue? Caraco or whatever. I've you always say said Caracaracaracio. Yeah, yeah, great. Because I didn't know how to say it, so I just made a joke of it. Yeah. Because yeah. that's safe. Yeah, yeah. And then when people yes. say you're saying it wrong, you say, I know I'm saying it as a joke. Oh my God, you don't get my joke. Yeah. But I have no idea. No, how I to have say no it. idea either. And I would I never think You might have it. had it right. I think it oh, was really? Caraco. Yeah. Holy shit. I think that's how you say it. <laughs> Look, hey. I would also typically fall into the make a joke. Yeah, yeah. Camp, yeah. So <laughs> I don't take this as gospel. <laughs> yeah. 
Just say Karakarakakio. But if it is wrong, please, what is your Twitter handle, Adam? (laughs) (laughs) Well, my Twitter handle is at Jackson Bailey. (laughs) Uh, So any complaints can be sent there. That's that's funny. It's not even his Twitter handle. (laughs) Send them over. All dogs are dead. Yeah, all dogs are dead. (laughs) I don't know anyone's Twitter handle, but I know Jackson B. Bailey's. Yes. It's hard to forget. And, uh, yeah, wait, is there – oh, yes, and, uh, Adam, you also book a band for the after-party of the event. Oh, okay. Well, oh, that's a lot of responsibility. Okay. Yeah. Could be you, anyone who, you like. Who have you booked? Uh, I've booked the only band worth a damn. Uh, mm-hmm. The first band that came to my mind that is definitely in my mind right now, I'm thinking of a band. <laughs> yes. yes. Wouldn't be stalling for time. That's not what I do. No, it's not. I'm that? not panicking right now. Okay. <laughs> I am thinking... No one's suggesting you are. <laughs> the, the only band in existence, just Elvis himself. Elvis, Elvis himself. Yes, we got him. Yeah, and the his backup band. What are they called again? The, uh, the Fantastic Five. The something business... Whatever, yeah. Uh, the business district. Yes, the business. Di- it's Elvis Presley <laughs> and, and the, the business CBD. district <laughs> taking care of business. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so everyone in the club, please stick around for Elvis. That's a pretty good get. That's yeah, David, actually, I don't yeah. think Dave's ever got anyone that big. Fuck no. Um, <laughs> so you're a massive other- loser. What a letdown. <laughs> Adam, your role here on stage as the MC is I'm going to read out the name. Dave yes. would normally make some sort of weak pun as he gr- as he sort of hypes them up as they mm-hmm. enter the room. You're the hype man. All right, okay. cool, 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 cool. Um, you don't have to make a weak pun. <laughs> Last week, Michelle just sort of was an MC and, and yeah, really hyped mean, yeah. them up. And then I'll hype you up. So, right, so you do whatever comes to your mind. All right, panic. so we got we got three. Don't panic. <laughs> just never, go with your I heart. Wouldn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> I've not never in done that nature. in my life. <laughs> First from Armstrong Creek in Victoria, Australia, it's Jemima Knox. Armstrong, got to be careful. They've got (laughs) tickets tickets to the gun show. (laughs) The guns being their arms, they are Armstrong. (laughs) Yes, Jemima, you big strong arms. Woo! Welcome from Manton in New South Wales, Australia, it's Sarah Smith. Sarah, Sarah Smith. Uh, also got strong arms. Surprisingly strong arms, going to do an arm wrestle with Jemima. Yes. And finally, oh my God, uh, from a Welsh place. Oh no, <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I'm gonna have to look up the phonetics of this. Give I me the name have... so I've got some time. <laughs> okay, it's James Burton. James Burton. All right, how am I gonna work arms into this? <laughs> <laughs> his, his arms are burnt after arm wrestling Jemima and Sarah. That's good. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Do that. All right. Let's see. I reckon, Matt, I reckon you could get away from saying from Wales. From? Strachanlice. From Strachanlice. That doesn't feel right. From Strachanlice in, uh, and how do you say Wales in Welsh? From Cymru, it is James Burton. And I should have an absolute, Burton, uh, but they're also got strong arms. Strong arms. And that's no burden um, to them. They love it. It's great that you came up with one real quick. All right. <laughs> Welcome into the club, James, Sarah, and Jemima. And yes. Uh, yeah, stick around, enjoy a few Monopoly cocktails. 
And yeah, collect the whole set if you can. <laughs> Probably don't actually. I do need you to drink responsibly. My RSA is being <laughs> questioned. <laughs> if you spew, that's the equivalent of being bankrupt in the game. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. board is calling it not existent <laughs> and a big lie. <laughs> Uh, but that brings us to the end of the episode. Thanks so much for joining us, Adam Carnivale. Jess, is there anything we need to tell people before we go? Um, just that we love them so much. Um, Adam, where can people find you? Uh, typically screaming on a street corner, but yeah. if you want to find me online, I can be found at Retro Archetype. Retro and Archetype, the uh, the two words just slam together. Chuck, yeah. them on any, ch- chuck them into any social media. You'll find me there or alternatively at sanspantsradio.com. There you go. And thank you for taking the tiny, tiny shoes of Dave Warnicke, um <laughs> for this week. We appreciate it so the, much. The little boots. He can, He's one of the few that can put his feet into the, in the Monopoly boot. boot. Tiny actually, feet, massive pies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's it. Um, if you want to suggest a topic, anybody can. There's a link in the show notes or you can do it at our website, dogoonpod.com, where you can also um, find bonus episodes. You can uh, buy merch. You can do... Just about anything you dream of over there. And speaking of Dave, he is going to do a live show in London this week of Book Cheat. So if you want to get involved in that, check out Book Cheat Pod online. Yeah, it's and happening you... Wednesday the 10th of August. And yeah, that I mean, I the wish I could week. be there. It'd be so much fun. So do yourselves a favour. Uh, yeah, that brings us to the end of the episode. Thanks so much for joining us. Hopefully, Adam, you can come back and do a report at some stage. I would love to. Um, so we'll see you then. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us, everyone. Laters. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 